0: What
1: day is it today? Wednesday exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons from Falcon Screen, and we're joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And freelance writer and critic Verrot Nehru.
2: From a very bare household.
1: Yeah, I'm not in Verrot's very bare household, neither of us are because we are social distancing for the moment. We'll see how long that goes. And still bringing you lots of Film Fight Club. And we have a big episode because we are talking. A very prominent director, which everyone will have seen, everyone will have heard of, Tim Burton, whose films we haven't really covered before. I don't think we've mentioned. Many- yeah. yeah, has none anything of, of his know.
3: been released since we've been doing the show? Dumbo, Dumbo but none of us saw it. Right. And yeah. Miss
1: Peregrine's Home for Something. I
3: think something, that. I was, was. that during the run of the show? Was that 2017 or
2: 2016? Yeah. No, no, that was there, there was the Eva Green yeah, movie, but I didn't. I, once again, I don't think any of us saw it. Because
3: We've all lost interest in Tim Burton, right? Basically. Big Eyes like, good. Unless, Unless we're told that a film is yeah. particularly good, mm-hmm. we're at the point where it's like, yeah. yeah.
2: Big Eyes I mostly saw because of uh, Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. And it got lukewarm reviews. So I thought, okay, it might be his return to form. So I gave it a shot. But I liked it. To-
1: more than I think most critics did. We're going to be getting to Big Eyes much get to later it. in the program. Yeah. Because what we're going to do is we talk about an overall, but then going film by film. Some will be on very, very briefly, and some like Edward Hands and some of the bigger ones, we'll talk a little bit about more detail. But first, we want to talk about some of the film news of the week, and that is, well, we're going to talk about what's happening in Australia. Internationally, Khan? Khan? can. Khan? Khan? Yeah,
3: since we've been giving a Khan update every single yeah. week, um, they, they've still yet to officially cancel the festival, even though it's impossible for it to be held during the time period that they slotted in for a delayed festival. <laughs> the sidebar festivals, Critics Week, Directors' Fortnight, Acid, etc., cetera, um, all decided to cancel because they were sick of waiting. Uh, Khan have, are still sort of just doing anything they can do except for cancel, like, oh, maybe we'll postpone it, or maybe we'll, delay- we'll figure something out, maybe, is the official stance right now you Uh, can
2: always get what you want yeah
1: we're not quite sure even though
3: yeah i highly doubt venice can run um given the state of italy i don't think we'll be seeing any big film festivals this year i think khan will realize that sooner rather than later but at the moment i think they're trying to see if they can
2: slot something in later in the year but from what i'm seeing movie is going to put on a few of those releases in may as international premieres
3: oh really that's interesting yeah like films that would have gone to khan
2: yeah, or at least from Berlinale, from what I'm hearing. Okay,
3: that's interesting because um, the the whole endeavour to to run Khan and we should, you know, um, we, we must run Khan this year just strikes me as stupid. Yeah. Because if they do that, it means there'll be no films next year. Yeah, I mean, currently... Because, like, no movies are being yeah. shot. If, you know, the,
1: <laughs> no, if, there's going to be a lot of these are not a film films yeah. for Khan next year if they go ahead and... I, yeah.
3: I think they're worried that other film festivals will pip them and grab all the content if the fall f- festivals can go ahead. But it's realistically, like the fall can... festivals won't go yeah. ahead. They should just be talking to the filmmakers and saying, hey, h- would, you know, Kana's Big Prestige, um, Would how about a tentative arrangement to program your films next year? Yeah. Like, if they do it now, it's either cancel a festival, which nobody will begrudge them for doing this yeah. year, and have a good festival next year, or... Run a, a disaster of a festival this year, and have a
2: threadbare festival next year. Yeah, yeah you're, that, 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 That's so an that important point Australia. because I don't think, I don't think anything is being shot right now.
3: That's it. There's no film production happening yeah. worldwide. So
2: any films that would have been slotted for scheduling, you know, in film festivals next year, exactly, there they so won't be. So production,
1: everything should just be held a year. Is animation and post production? That's on only a few features, mm. and. A lot of it, at any rate, is just going to go stream because the filmmakers and distributors want to get it out there.
3: It's, it's a difficult time because nobody knows when this will end. You can hope that we'll be able to do Khan next year, but it's possible yeah. that we'll be seeing some additional mutated virus wave hitting us then, God forbid. Um, so there'll be film, there'll be producers who'll be willing to wait it out and there'll be producers that say, let's just show our films on screening because then at least we have some kind of an audience. and Streaming will be thirsty for content since there's no new production happening. So you could see a lot of these indie films that have been shot, purchased by the streaming companies just so that they have something to fill the gaps because there's more people staying at home watching streaming than ever.
1: And we do think you should be staying in Herb at the moment. And there are a lot of things happening that are streaming, separate from Netflix and Stan and Movie and Tubi. A couple of events that are happening this week. One is Monsterfest. They're doing their third weekly Friday Fright Night. I tuned the first one. It was pretty fun. Saw so some friends on there. That's this Friday night at 9 p.m. We've covered Static Vision and what the collective are doing every week. They've got their biggest get so far midday on Saturday. Guy yes. from the Green Fog. Great work! Full props to Felix Hupper and Connell Bateman, Cotta Bateman, and I'm tuning him for that. Saddest
3: music in the world, director, um, among others. Yeah, I, I was impressed they were able to yeah. get him. He's, think, uh, which is a Jess, discussion and a film screen. Yes, yeah, Ella he's Scott a Canadian the, yeah. indie film icon.
0: Yeah,
2: I think Jess is doing the interview with him. Yes, Ellicott,
1: who yes. is um, running the program, who works, who works over at Golden Age. Um, coming up on the twenty eighth. Excuse me, as a curator for over at Golden Age, excuse me. Uh, coming up on the 28th of April is Filmonic, um, which is the short film light where filmmakers can send in shorts and have a bit of a and a with the Melbourne crew. The Sydney equivalent keynote is happening on the 4th of May. There are asking for Star Wars themed films. Uh, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which just announced a... Virtual screening for me. The first, they're having a program called Couch Critic, where reviewers or just casual viewers can send in YouTube clips of themselves reviewing films that are queer content, and they go into competition for the MQFF Couch Critic event. You can see it on their website.
2: That's very really nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a great initiative.
1: It's great. It's engaging the community really well. And as is Screen Queensland, we talked last few weeks about. Um, the importance of government intervention and the current lack thereof in supporting the art scene and festivals. Uh, we, I mentioned last week that the Tasmanian government are supporting the Tasmanian Breath of Fresh Air film festival going online, but just today, as in yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, Screen Queensland announced that they're giving five grants up to $10,000 specifically to Queensland film festivals to transition online and pro- program material online. It's great, hope other governments follow suit. If you're a Queensland film festival, seek that out. Um, but and next week uh, because we just just give a we're getting to this later in the program but billy wilder we've got through our social media a request from declan green from the nerd daily he asked over. you did it you did it yes.
3: it gave so us, us.
1: A, a fight film fight club
2: versus billy wilder thank you yeah and look at look at us Declan I mean, Green. Only, you know, only only a week on social media and we're already getting requests so you know three years too late but we finally got that <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, Declan, we're going to be covering some Billy Wilder. It's mostly going to be me and Chris fighting over whether the apartment or Sunset Boulevard is better. Obviously, it's Sunset Boulevard. But obviously, it's the
2: apartment, but anyway. Okay, I'm, well, I'm there with is a fire. Right, we'll, <laughs> well, there yeah, is yeah, a, fire I just got a preview of how this is going to pan out. <laughs> there
1: go. Amazing. I've never seen insurance talk sound so sexy. But for the moment, <laughs> we're talking all things Tim Burton, a very, very different director. It might actually be all things Tim Burton this week. We're trying to cover
2: basically every feature he yeah. made. As I like with a few call, exceptions. As i like to call it
1: it. We should mention some of the shorts that are very consequential. That's true. It's going
2: to be, be a Burton razor of an episode.
1: So Tim Burton, God, I've okay because I have dated a lot of goth chicks. Like I have to be Burton literate. So obviously I know all about Tim Burton and have seen some
2: typography <laughs> guys. I think everyone believes you when you said that so nonchalantly. It's because no. you've dated so many goth chicks. No, totally I, I, you, Glenn. I have. I have seen all of
1: Burton's work. Even the shorts, excepting the last two in his career, that I just, like Chris said, I just kind of fell out of interest.
3: That's yeah, nice. um, that that's basically it. His, his oh, shorts are great. Vincent is such a good short. Vincent's yeah. good.
1: Frank, the original Frank and Weenie's gorgeous. I haven't seen the original Frank and Have you guys seen the re- the remake, the like, the feature? I did. I liked it. Yeah. I, I prefer Corpse Bride in terms of his animations, but I am rather fond of it. Yeah. Okay. It, okay. It was, it was I haven't seen following it. Following his template of animation too closely, he has a very finite style for most of his animated work. And it, it just kind of a little tired by the time the feature Frankenweenie came along. But as it regards his earlier stuff, I liked it. It was much more novel then. Um, so speaking of his very... Actually, we should talk how we generally feel about Burden before going into film filmography. All right. My feeling has always been... I like his work. I like the hyper-surreal aspects of it. A lot of directors try to emulate this, very few with great success. I think there are degrees of burden. I think there's the extreme of it with Edward Scissorhands. I think there's more moderated... the quintessential burden. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. With Sleepy Hollow. And I think there's where he's going really grounded with big eyes. I think the middle ground works best. My favourites among them, Ed Wood. Sleepy Hollow, Batman Returns, where it's realistically, with the exception of Batman Returns, the world we kind of recognise, but at the same time, the story aspects and the character aspects are heightened by uh, his most clever production design. So he has some great films, um, some of which I mentioned, Big Fish is also a personal favourite, but he has some ones because of the poor application of that Strategy that I really dislike, like Dark Shadows, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, probably my least favorite role adaptation, which is saying something. But I'm looking forward to getting into all of these.
0: I
3: uh, struggle with Tim Burton. I don't think he's made many great films. I um, I think he has a really unique vision, obviously, which has made him world famous. Um, He's a household name among directors, but. And among the uh, public, in fairness. Yeah, that's what I'm sorry. That's what I mean. Of directors, he is a household name. He's not just a a, you know a film aficionado kind of name. Yeah, not an
2: autor autor kind of thing.
3: (laughs) But um, yeah, not not just for the autor nerds. But um, for someone as famous as him, I don't think he has that many great films to his name. He just has a really distinctive vision. Um, He's made a few really good ones. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I think his storytelling instincts are nowhere near as developed as his visual instincts. Um, If I were to Be a little harsh. I would say that he's a great visual artist, but not a great filmmaker. A a talented filmmaker, Mm -hmm. but his strengths are more in in the visual art side. I think there, I would
1: broadly agree, but I think there are major exceptions from a storytelling perspective. We'll get into those.
3: Yeah. Did you guys hear that he had an exhibition uh, that just ended in Vegas, just right before coronavirus would have ruined it? Um, That running from late last year until, I think, February, which was Tim Burton's imagined vision of Las Vegas based on his childhood memories in a museum in Vegas. And so it's all just handmade props by Burton and, you know, like, life-size displays that you walk through. That would be awesome. Like, that's the...
2: I mean sorry, Tim Tim Burton should adapt a Hunter Thompson novel essentially. He was made to, to basically make a Hunter S Thompson. He and Depp
1: haven't is astounding to you're, me. yeah, you're and right.
3: He you should have made the film. wrong Under diary. Stomson. I d
2: I don't know why Johnny Depp would act in any other director. That, that would have been version. that would have been way better. Um, yeah. but
3: yeah, I, I would like to see more, more touring Tim Burton art exhibitions like yeah. that one that he just ran in Vegas, like rather than a new Tim Burton film. Just I, let me soak up and spend some time with his production design uh, and his vision. Yeah. yeah,
1: I've seen the clips story. of Vegas at the moment, absolutely abandoned. And to think that there's a big abandoned large-than-life Tim Burton exhibit just sitting in the middle <laughs> of the strip right now is insane. <laughs> I'm not going to want to fall asleep in the middle of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. I
2: mean, oh God, Burton, Burton, Burton. I'm going to say the obvious. I mean, the sort of loner, introvert, outcast in me when I was growing up, just absolutely adored him. I mean, I looked up to him because his kind of storytelling uh, or his kind of world building was phenomenal. There's
3: so much romanticism around those sorts of characters in his films. Yeah,
2: and he he genuinely loves his loners. I think there is not that cynicism towards his outcast characters, which you see in a lot more contemporary movies, where the geeks and the nerds and the loners are sort of looked down upon. I think he really loved his, you know, uh, people. And you could see tapping into the humanity of the loners, which... I think at the time, especially in the 90s, felt really fresh. I can't wait to I think for a whole him. generation of people, a whole generation of people, I mean, us growing up, this was our teen angst moment. I mean, we kind of grew up with Burton with the teen angst sentimentality. So I think when I look yeah, back. Yeah, it's
3: formative things, for a lot of people.
2: I when I look back on nostalgia, longer. yeah, definitely. I think that works. But now that I'm grown up and have less teen angst, and I have more sort of you know, third party perspective, a bit more removed vision. I can see that they're not fantastically great films, but they're still able to transport me into a world, which Mm. I think is Burton's biggest sort of, you know, achievement. His idea and his singular sort of wacky or quirky vision of the world, which is just slightly off kilter, is still so mesmerizing because everything else functions around you buying that logic. Mm. And if if you don't buy that first thing, then everything else falls apart. And his best films work
1: into the idea of characters buying into illogicity and surrealness. I can't wait to talk about probably my two favorites, Sleep Hollow and Big Fish, which came in almost immediate succession, Planet of the Apes being between them.
3: The less said about Planet of the Apes, the better. Shall yeah, we start running
1: through his filmography? We, we should. Yes. We'll start with actually, well, my one of my major introductions to Burden, I remember several years ago, Acme in Melbourne had the Tim Burnham exhibit, and it was only because of them I got to see the short of Frank and Weenie, Vincent, Hansel and Gretel this is really really early stuff and those are still coders for how he would go on absent major budgets or even medium-sized budgets to create the type of art and yes go back to the same visual template which I've referred to a little while ago uh so Frank and Weenie and Vincent I think we'll talk more of those in the context of their films has anyone seen actually I haven't seen this Pee-wee's Big Adventure I've seen it yeah okay it's a calling card film. It's like, look
3: at the kind of zaniness I can conjure up with a limited budget. Um, there's some nice use of uh, claymation visual effects, which are similar to what you later see on a bigger scale in Beetlejuice. Um, it's kind of, it's it's very strange because it's kind of like it's a kid's movie, but like the Pee-Wee Herman character is just so <laughs> creepy. Like this weird yeah. man-child in a suit running around, um, getting into spooky, vaguely 1950s I mean, Burton-esque in- adventure. Like, the the aesthetic is like this 50s kind of thing that he leans into in Beetlejuice. It's yeah. very much like a proto-Beetlejuice in some yeah. ways. Oh, yeah. Totally. Similar in the way in, in that it's like not much of a story, but like a template to hang a bunch of hijacks off. Yeah.
2: I um, mean, we, we talk about Pixar being the template for this generation where you're basically doing animation, but for adults, not necessarily just for kids. Yeah, That's- Burton's certainly. Burton is He's, way way more. Uh, yeah, awesome. he has. And a, I think a actually, bunch of
3: kids' movies for adults, really. Yeah, it's hor- Edward is another. I,
2: I think yeah, especially I think it's definitely not for kids. In fact, most of his characters are man children who just refuse to grow up. It's very yeah. Much like Peter Pan syndrome is like so. That's awesome. right.
3: You oh. see that definitely in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, it's definitely like I thought. I thought as a film, it's okay. It's kind of fun. Um, it's it's just it's very strange.
1: Yeah,
3: but with, with in a good
1: way. I can't see actually have any familiarity. It's such an American entity that I didn't grow up with. I've never seen anything with Pee Wee. I I know that he exists, but I don't know what, it is. I, uh, uh, what is, is it?
2: But this has nothing to do with the actual kind of cultural zeitgeist of Pee-wee. I think this is more Burton's imagination and the Pee-wee he has in his mind, which like is still man. very different to the cultural zeitgeist of what Pee-wee is supposed to be. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's weird, but like it's quirky before it's like quirky good, was cool. It's a good like, template
3: for his aesthetics.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, well, that's Pee-wee's big adventure, which brings us to his first big hit, Beetlejuice. Now, I watched this for the first time. It was uh, several years ago. It was the Hayden Orpheum 25th anniversary. And my fondest memory, rather than the film itself, is there was a costume competition where they got everyone to up to the front. And then, absolutely nonchalant, like they did not give a damn, two people dressed, spitting image of the main characters, Beetlejuice included, just walked in, didn't pay any heed to the costume comp, sat down, and the host was just like, yes, those guys, they get it, <laughs> give them the prize. It was Outrageous, nice, and much better than the film because I love Michael Keaton. He's my favorite Batman. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but I try honestly try to rewatch this, and I struggle with Beetlejuice. I always have. It's not a film I enjoy. Right?
2: Oh God, no! I, I love Beetlejuice. It's it's so much fun, and I rewatched it last night, and uh, it's 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 an easy watch, as Chris would I think agree with. But it's not. and that's not the bad thing. I think there's so many good things about it in terms of the sincerity and the characters just... It's such a freewheeling movie where the narrative kind of expectations that later Burton kind of fell into don't apply here. So I kind of like, you know, it's it's almost as if like these ideas are just coming into his head and he's just like, okay, now the next one, now the next one, now the next one. And he's yep. going into like different directions. So it's actually not following a template, which I do quite like. It is kind of an anti-narrative, freewheeling. And it has... It's a proper quirky movie, and I think a lot of later Burton films become a pastiche of following a template of being quirky. But this was the original quirky film.
1: Can we just clarify for someone who's who's you watch, we watched very recently the uh, actually, in fairness, unique narrative of Beetlejuice? Because I do, notwithstanding all else, I do like the premise.
2: I don't know how quite to. Okay, so do you the, want to do a good job of trying to explain. What I'll try. Are, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: So two uh, two newlyweds plan out their perfect house, and they, yep. they get this amazingly production-designed beautiful house on the hill. Then they die tragically, and yuppies come in and ruin all their planning, and so they want to haunt, as ghosts now haunting the house, haunt them out of their beautiful home. And uh, because they're struggling to get these people to leave, they have to hire Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton, so um, good who is a basically a, a con artist sleaze who, who capitalizes on people uh people's need uh to have a master of supernatural arts i guess at their service uh, look the premise is amazing and yeah, the production well. yeah the production design is amazing and the visual effects are amazing
2: do you think that it starts with such a tragedy and it's such a tragic kind of premise built upon it? I it like the setup. It's such a fun it's I a like, fun movie. I like, I like the
3: way that the their death is uh revealed to you, right? Yeah. Um you know where it's no, it's not like a big yeah, shocking it's, it's like are they dead? Oh they're oh yeah, they're just um, dead.
2: McFeam. Yep. But g- now.
3: <laughs> I agree with Glenn. Like um I struggle with this movie. I find it easy to watch because there's so much eye candy going on and because the, the vision is so strong. It is kind of a demo reel for Tim Burton as a director. Yeah. Like it's it like look
2: like at... A, like a spec, a spec script kind yeah, of a
3: thing. Yeah, like, but it's also like look at how huge my vision is. Um, there's so much playing with models going on in the, in the f- film, like scale models. And um, that's kind of a metaphor for what I think Tim Burton's doing.
1: Yeah, what my issue with it broadly, I like the production design, but the production design more of the story and every sequence is monotonous in its turn. I don't find it quirky. I find that it's repetitive. It's Tim Burton wanting to show yes, yeah, not just here's what I can do, but here's all these ideas I have, here these coders for broader things I want to do. And this frustrates me because we're just seeing the same shtick again and again and again throughout the entire film. As much as Keaton brings something to it, it gets tired fast. Well, the thing is, I was talking
3: before about how great all the visual things are, but I don't think anything else is up to that. Like As a comedy, I don't think it's a very sharp script. I think there's almost nothing funny in the script. There are some funny visual gags. I think everything funny about the film comes down to Burton's touch. The story, as uh, Virat said, is just kind of freewheeling stream of consciousness thrown together. Sometimes I appreciate that in films, um, but for whatever reason, I can't get on board with it in Beetlejuice. Maybe things are just like, things just feel too random for me. Like, um, okay, I get that they like Harry Belafonte why are they, you know, why would they think that singing Harry Belafonte songs would scare people off? Or why are there sandworms from June in this other than because we want to have some kind of homage? Why is anything in this movie? i I, don't how this great is, I Probably this is missing the point,
2: but... Yeah, uh, I, I can see that. I can see that, Chris, and I can see your point as well. The one thing that I kind of, I think, nostalgic about in the rewatching, and kind of appreciated was the fact that you're someone who could actually execute all the quirky ideas in his head. I mean, they're not all great, but they're all in the film. There's nothing left out. There's nothing left to chance. You can see all the great ideas and all the bad ones all packed in into one film. And it is quite a unique experience as a mood piece because of that. But there's too great an emphasis on
1: mood on Nolte. And to use a comparison point, I reread Alice in Wonderland this weekend and Burton famously readapted it later very successfully. I, however, I do not like the film. The Beetlejuice character is very comparative to the Cheshire Cat character, whereas Carol had it deployed in very minimally, made it more interesting, made it more mysterious. Here, Beetlejuice is just doing it again and again and again. The character of the Cheshire Cat actually doesn't have much going for it, but it works in a minor function. Whereas here, the equivalent is just stretched out over an entire film. I like Keaton, but he had too too much of this rest on his shoulders. Let's um, talk about one of the other performances for a moment. This was Alec Baldwin. This was when he was a dramatic actor. He's actually better as a dramatic actor. Before he was known and into his comedic shtick. Now when he does a comedy, everything he does is winking at the camera. But I liked when he was playing against type here. It's one of his better comedic performances. This in the early seasons of 30 Rock are some of the best comic work he's done. And I liked him in this notwithstanding um, my detractions to the movie.
3: Okay, to go further on the why, the whole thing about like Lydia. Oh, we love Lydia. Lydia loves you. And she like, it's all just like, Nothing's developed. Oh, I, Did you I agree. I agree, characterize? I agree with that. I mean, oh, everything
2: nothing. is broad strokes, everything is caricatures. Yeah. And in fact, not even caricatures, everything is just broad strokes, period. I mean, they're just two line character sketches. They don't extend beyond that.
3: Michael Keaton's really good. I, um, he He, yeah, he, he brings so much energy to it. His character is so disgusting. It's right. funny the idea of like Beetlejuice 2, because I think you couldn't make this film today. Like his no, character. i like,
1: B Page, but I don't know, guys. I don't know. The,
3: there's a lot of gags about him, basically sexually harassing slash abusing people. Um, he's he's like a creepy pervert, uh, lusting it, after and, the
1: teen girl. Yeah, and, and um, that's the
2: thing. This, this film is not for kids. And, and that it, but it was feels
1: the 80s. This was when Robocop was marketed as a kid's film. This so. movie,
3: it's strange. It kind of, like there was a Beetlejuice cartoon, because of course there was, and it yeah. kind of almost feels <laughs> like it could be a kid's movie, but it's not quite. And, um, yeah, it's the
2: adolescent kind of got, it's the, the, the got to like My Chemical Romance kind of movie, you know, which is fine, you know, I was one of them at once, one point in time. So. Uh,
1: it's, uh, so if you like My Chemical Romance, great endorsement, go <laughs> watch Beetlejuice. The next film we're talking about was from 89. It was at the time the sixth highest grossing film of all time, which is outrageous. It is Batman. Really? It is one of the first films I ever remember watching. So the first two Batman films, the first two Batman Tim Burton films had a big impact on how I see cinema broadly at a very formative age. It stars Michael Keaton, of course, the best Batman. And I'm more excited to talk about Batman Returns. It's a film I like a lot more. Batman
3: Returns is a lot better but um it should be noted that batman returns is i think way more of a tim burton film um he was famously given a lot more creative control on batman returns and it feels way more in line with something like edward scissorhands um in terms of like a fully realized tim burton world whereas this first one is kind
1: of like a Burtonized version of the comic book i guess i think we have to give Burton credit though in that this more than any other batman iteration is the biggest stylistic leap from what audiences have been familiar with, including as between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins. I mean, the cachet of Batman was the 60s cartoon prior to this. And this still has the zany elements, but it's much darker. He did, even more than Nolan, I'd argue, bring the cultural zeitgeist of Batman oh, into totally. darker I mean,
0: the, and the, the The
2: idea of a dark and brooding Batman was Burton. I mean, Burton has established that template. In it film. We
3: should, we should note yeah, that film. The Dark Knight Returns made a big impact a few years before this came out. And is a lot better by Frank Miller.
1: Uh, I, when I first saw this as a kid, I was mesmerized by Jack Nicholson's performance. I've just been to be clear, this is not an origin story for those who haven't seen it. Batman is around Gotham City. It's an origin story for the Joker. He's key nemesis. Though, of course, it has to show that scene Mason in Prime where? Alley. As always. But it was before everyone had done it, so I was okay with Burton doing it. I'm not and great. And he
2: feels about he doesn't overdo it. So, in
1: yeah. the batman lexicon, con but I like it. There's a lot of entertaining sequences. I don't like the action very much. I don't think the action is very well staged, except- Very badly the, staged. In the gallery, which just for Nicholson's charisma was quite good. The origin sequence with the Joker was good. The scene where he first killed someone with the hand buzzer was good. But the supporting cast really aren't all that great. It's perfectly decent as a Batman film. I appreciate it would have been more novel, more exciting seeing it on release, given its relative novelty.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd want to know why Keaton is your favourite Batman first before we get that out of the way. I, I'd
1: gladly like to talk about it, but we only have uh, yeah. just about a minute and a half left. So if you're Batman, yeah, we're going to talk about Batman. We're going
3: to talk all Let's things. Let's talk about it now. It's it's fine, right? Like it's kind. Doesn't it kind of feel like a bit of a wayward narrative with not much holding? it... Like a lot of Tim Burton films it it's kind of like it feels small scale but doesn't go in de- depth into anyone which would be the benefit of such a smaller scale kind of story
2: yeah i mean it's, it's just setting up everything else and but the problem with this this is and i think like like glenn mentioned this is not enough of a tim burton movie to me to get on board but it still does it from the zeitgeist that they think differently so that you know you can establish but that. a bunch of
3: print songs Oh, yeah. that's why glenn loves it
1: so much because he's such a big fan of prince glenn
3: yeah absolutely.
1: so um we've got to go in a moment stay tuned for the sonic assassin if you're listening on 2scr please subscribe on itunes and spotify and tune in
3: at twelve thirty tonight and you'll hear the rest of the, uh, this episode
1: and we're, thanks to AM. we're going to be talking next week about billy wilder let us know what you want us to fight about and you can let us know on our social media
3: which is at film fight Club AU on Twitter or on Facebook.com slash
1: FilmFightClub. Yeah. So let us pick a, is it, if it's a director, if it's a subject, if it's revisiting a previous uh, episode or issue, something topical, we're fine. Just, we, we, we like movies. We like yeah, to fight about them.
2: Exactly. Make us fight about things and make you cry because it's for your favorite thing.
1: Maybe we'll be discussing your favorite film if you're a big burden fan. Uh, we're going to be going through all of them. All Listen of them. to the rest of the episode on the podcast. So there's been Glenn Fainter, Chris Evans, right in the room. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. Enjoy movies. Good night. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking all things Tim Burton and specifically Batman 1989, the film I watched again and again and again and again without exaggeration on VHS. Still my favourite Batman, Michael Keaton. I like him for a few reasons. First of all, he had a greater physicality to the role than Clooney. Affleck, oh, an interesting, all interesting thing to say because people thought like he's the funny
3: guy. He's not an intimidating, big, tough guy. How can he yeah, he, that was when he was
1: cast. He, he wasn't as physical as Kilmer or um what's his name, Bale. Bale. But I'll get into the reasons why. I like them not as much as Keaton. I think Batman, I like the series edge to Keaton and also Bale's performance, but it, because it's a guy dressing up as a bat in a cape, it requires a certain level of we can get the camera, we know this is all kind of silly. Bale can never do that because Bale only does self-serious. Keaton got the right balance, particularly in Batman Returns. He's running with Oswald Cobblepot, and he knows that is stupid, but he's committed. Same attitude he brought to Beetlejuice, so I like him. I think he struck the right balance better than any other Batman's I've seen.
3: Okay, I totally agree with you, but I would say what you say about Batman applies to the difference between Burton's approach and Nolan's as well. Bale is the th- perfect Batman for Nolan's vision, which is to completely self serious with this stupid comic book world.
2: Okay, I think Keaton is a great. Bruce Wayne, uh, whereas Christian Bale is a better Batman. I don't think Christian Bale could pull off Bruce Wayne. I was never believing him as a lotario playboy. I'd, I'd
1: pay that. And I, I would extend to say that I prefer Keaton's iteration of Bruce Wayne than I do of Batman. And also, we okay. discussed this before the podcast, but I struggle comparing Batman Returns to The Dark Knight, by far my favourite two Batman films. Dead I, Dead yeah, Dead before the podcast. podcast, I controversially I said, we should save this till
3: we get to Batman Returns. Oh, Controversially said it was the best Batman movie. We can discuss that later.
1: Yeah, but Batman, as in Batman 1989. Uh, oh, I, I enjoy it. It's not a film I, I've seen it maybe a dozen times, probably more. It's not a film I ever want to watch again. I liked it as a kid. I think I enjoyed it more by virtue of being a kid and liking the scene with the big balloons. The scene with Nielsen shoots the single gun and takes down the Batplane is dumb, as is mean, a, even to the scale yeah. of this universe. Uh, you can say that for a lot of this movie.
2: Also, also Kim Kim Basinger, She was completely wasted and just dumb. She's not in good whole in this movie. She, I know she's you, terrible. Look, look at L.A. Confidential She's not a great Vicky Vale. Look at L.A.
1: Confidential. She has much better turns than this. Oh yeah,
2: definitely much better. So, so yeah, which is a was, wasted potential role. And and that's it's weird because her role has such a, you know such a catalyst for the Joker, Jack Nicholson's Joker, to do so many things in this film. And I just felt like she was not enough. Of a pull for him to do these things. I'm just like, well, yeah, she's she's okay.
1: <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we well, mean. I, I know it's an exaggerated universe, but it's simply, oh, she's so perfect. I'm going to base my entire motivation of everything on having seen this picture of this reporter. It's a stretch. A lot of the film was working on a level of not fun, stupid, but stupid, stupid. <laughs> and but having said that, it meant that Burden could go away and do whatever he wanted for the next 25 years.
3: Yeah. Which really paid off with Batman Returns. Oh yeah. Um, are we done, are we moving on to the next one or Sadly. Batman, the better <laughs> Batman. the Hands. Oh is- no, no,
1: Edward the Hands is next. Yes. yes,
3: that's definitely one of those you've made it as a director films because it's such a weird thing that where he was clearly given, uh, you know, the
1: blank check to do what he
0: wanted. Yes. Yeah. And he
1: and made I think us hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, here's an X amount of money. Just do whatever. We'll put your name on the poster and we'll we'll sell it.
3: This and is the kind Chris, of thing you yeah. would not get funded if not for having that level of clout
2: And is Edward Scissorhands, I think, is a perfect example for what Chris was saying, where the production design is so strong and so visually mm. amazing. I mean, the the contrast between the Gothic style and then the bright tones, which yeah, like the, it's coming from the candy color, yeah, the candy color, candy floss kind of world, 1950s. The suburbia, the perfect suburbia element. Yep and the gothic high castle kind of contrast. It is so beautiful and oh my God. One of my, one so of my favorite I, shots I in the film
1: is when she turns the mirror at the very beginning and sees the castle in the background. It's very funny. There's a yeah. lot of great moments like that. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, it is the first <laughs> film he made what are you with doing? Johnny Depp. <laughs> it is about the titular, Edward's is a hands, a man who was met by Vincent Price, who has everything but hands. So he has is for hands and the Avon lady planned by Dan Wiest brings him home to her family where we meet the rest of her family, by Nona Ryder, Alan Arkin, and the rockers he causes in this community being a man with no hands at us looking as crazy as Johnny Depp has ever looked. I first watched this 17 years ago, and it was one of my first. Trying versions. to impress the goth chicks
0: with your knowledge. I, I wasn't <laughs> trying to impress. It was
1: well, quite 17 years ago, but yeah, I, I needed Edward Hands. I did Sleepy Hollow, um, uh, Corpse <laughs> Bride. Really- such a romantic you are. <laughs> you got to be bird and literate, guys. You got to. Uh, this, <laughs> this was. I, I never liked. I always had bad memories of watching this film. This was definitely in the "I'm too cool for film school" period, where all I cared about was Renoir and Fellini. And I came back. Oh to my god! It now. Yeah, I'm still kind of like that. But I've brought I brought. Like I
2: can't it. imagine teenage Land being like, "Oh my god! I only watch Fellini." By the way, I mean. Eight and a half is such a great film.
1: Eight and a half is such a great film. And I don't only watch Fellini. There are other great Italian... Near yeah, La
2: Dolce Vita, La Dolce... You know, whatever. Just it's go. a masterpiece. I, okay, I'll fine. Be... Let's, let's get back <laughs> to let's it. Let's move on from <laughs> <on to> Fellini <laughs> to burden. We can um,
3: talk about Fellini in a, in a future week. With absolute pleasure. I, I really want to rewatch... I was th- feeling like I have to watch Knights of Kiberia again. Those, this would be a nice opportunity.
1: Yeah, we we've we're 30 minutes in we read right. right. the veritas talking about <laughs> the right. no, yeah.
0: um,
2: so it's weird that you would watch that and just be like oh but it impressed the girl so anyway yeah. it's, it's a I, strange I, thing happen
1: i did I, so i went back and rewatched this today for the first time in a long time i liked it a lot more than i initially did i think i got a lot more of the nuance what was going from the narrative i appreciated the visual style a lot more i do think it's too hyper exaggerated i do think it's i don't think the visual style benefits narrative as much as it would go on to in Burton's later films. But I'm curious to hear from Chris because he also returned to this after many years and had, I think, a complete opposite turn to myself. Uh,
3: when I first watched this, which was rather late, I, um, I didn't see this in childhood. I was, I fell under the spell of it. It is innocent to the extent that you could say it's dumb, but it's going for this kind of storybook, fairy tale kind of tone, where you just go with things. And like Virat was saying before, um, he sells you on the world. Uh, that worked for me both times I watched it, that you suspend your disbelief and you buy into this fantastical vision he has. Um, and the, as Virat said, specifically of this film, the visual impact of this weird leather um, bound guy with, scary looking blades in his hands, walking through the beautiful 1950s polished kitsch, actually. Yeah, you know, <laughs> in yeah. Environment. It's, it's, kitsch. Yeah, it's so visually I mean, he's, he's
2: able to tonally take a Frankenstein's monster story and then tell you it, you know, in a kind of teen, kind of coming of age now. Yeah. That's, which is weird. That's right. <laughs> Such a weird um, take but but it's so sincere but, but, i mean there's some real pathos in this but story.
3: yeah i agree um last time i watched it the sincerity of it won me over and it really cast a spell on me this may be just the adherence to formula which I and i guess is kind of the point but this time around the adherence to formula was a little bit too much for me to completely fall under its spell and you know i, I feel like you can strike that kind of innocent tone but also do more to sell the dramatic beats like the relationship between Winona Ryder and um, Edward Scissorhands, Johnny Depp in this film is really not developed enough. You could have had a few more scenes um, of their interacting or getting to know each other to sell me that they love each other instead of one more quirky interaction with all the housewives. Like it, it's clear that, burton is interested in something and he'll pursue it like the weird vision of this his goth brain child interacting with the society of women have you noticed that there's no men outside of outside of the the family the core family it's just all Uh, there's there's teenage boys but like
0: it's
2: all multiple it's separate wives kind of thing there's the police officer I was
1: was gonna say actually there's the Anthony Michael Hall character which following on from Chris's criticism of the treatment of the Minota Ryder character he's supposed to be the villain but he's so underdeveloped no no, that's what I was saying there's teenage boys but there's no dads it's just mums. Yeah, Alan Arkin has a very I, but, minor role compared to the Danbury's character, yeah, which is fine, but, he, but he's very one. But though. even uh, but Alan Arkin's just, the only dad, yeah. right? Oh, you should be right. getting a co- job, getting a car, going to the bank. You should be responsible. Like, we imagine every 50s dad spoke.
2: No, but but that's, that's the Tim the Burton aesthetic, right? Where he hates dads. It's all <laughs> like, you know, the, the dad figures are the, are the villains and they should not exist. But, uh, in his ideal he wasn't work, so
3: bad in this film, though. He was yeah. just lost well- up. Yeah, but but, but I, just generally, Michael Hall character is stupid. Yeah, it's like, the so and underdeveloped and, and so evil.
1: Moving on from uh, on on the note of Michael Hall the whole narrative, the whole conflict, it's so stock standard. Oh, we're going to have the second act drama. Oh, but he's just going to be misunderstood. Oh, um, we're going to manufacture some. And I appreciate that this is all a hyper-exaggerated world, but it's still such basic narrative storytelling compared to all well, the content. I agree.
2: The thing is, it's so easy to misunderstand someone because he's got scissors for hands. I mean, that is the problem. Like, you know, even though the beat is standard, the visual gag of having that itself is just so, yeah, the waterbed was
3: hilarious. Face. There's a lot of great moments. Yeah, there's great and, visual and, gags
2: and, and and the hedges when he starts trimming them out. They're all great. And... I
3: didn't. As was the yeah. I didn't have any trouble with the broad strokes of the narrative. Like even though it's very formula, the idea that they they all reject him, everyone gets stirred up against Edward Scissorhands, I could totally buy into that. Oh, that yeah. would that would happen. Yeah. That would definitely would happen. let it of, better though. Sure, that definitely Sorry, would happen fun. with this kind Plus of outsider in this manicured town. It's more the really broad stuff, like the oh. "I love you" or Anthony Michael Hall being being like Satan incarnate, but, that that I struggle with. And once, then, once speaking again, of Satan incarnate, ruins the spell of the film for me. Yeah. Like the, you, there's innocence and then there's dumb, and I think you can strike that innocent tone without dumbing down the narrative quite this much. <laughs>
1: right. One thing about Satan and Kana that I did, as a note love is the treatment of the very Christian character who just walked in at one point and said, I told you so, I told you so, and then just walks out. It's just this hilariously muted visual gag. She was pretty funny throughout. There are a lot, there are a lot of mean, great little moments like
0: hmm. that.
2: The kind of I love you thing, which yes, I agree that not enough scenes between Moon and a and Edward, but it kind mm. of makes sense because they're both... Misunderstood in their own worlds, and they find that they can understand each other in ways that the world cannot. It's a very Tim Burton aesthetic where you know it's like two people who are misunderstood in their own worlds find each other in their own kind of fantastical universe because they find in each other they can understand themselves better.
1: On that, I did an on rewatch, uh,
2: uh, but it's so broad and it's all very you know romantic.
1: I on that on rewatch, what I did like more was its treatment of otherness and hands uh, directly, but also indirectly as a metaphor for disability broadly and how disabled people are treated in society, how people are perceived. Um, the conversation in the TV show about but you're special, but you won't be special if you change this about yourself. Again, it's very broad strokes, but I did like how the film delved in this. I don't think a lot of films were doing this in the nineties or even now. I think it is relatable to that extent. It's but- well done. I like.
3: Yeah. The, the this, this is what I'm talking about, like, the when it works on that innocent level. Like, the the broadness of they reject him works quite well.
2: It's, it's as good a coming-of-age teen movie that I've seen, which is playing with convention, but yet still stays within convention, right? I mean, you know how it's going to end. You know the beats. But it still somehow manages to captivate you and sell you on the premise and hold your attention for long enough, even though you know how it's going to end. So... It's a formulaic, but still convincing enough movie. And for that, I think a rewatch is so easy because you know how it's going to go. But still, I think Johnny Depp, I think early Johnny Depp is is fantastic. I think there's something about him and the certain kind of collaboration that starts with this film that is totally unique.
0: On on the matter of Depp.
2: For a young heartthrob, I mean, because he was a heartthrob after his TV days. For him to pick this kind of a role, you know, where he's completely playing against type and he's practically ruining his face, which was, you know, a selling point for him, let's be honest. Mm. On the matter of it is a
1: big burden, this is one of his best turns with him because it was before Johnny Depp had to do everything tongue in cheek and self aware, self-aware, like yeah. with Willy Wonka later, six, 15 years later, actually less than 15 years later. He was taking this role very seriously and I'm glad he did. It required a serious turn. And he pulled it off. Like he, he's great in this. He's great in he great, yeah. a lot of his Tim Burton performances. Yeah, it's
2: I don't know. There's something about the blankness in his expression, which is yeah, yeah, really, yeah. You know, but
3: he brings like, some subtle emotion yeah.
2: to it. It's like the, yeah, there's like a little bit like a micro. His
3: micro smiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, the, the bit where it's like it's okay, you can smile with um Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah. He is oh, as Price, good. As, yes, I love yeah, the Vincent Price. Just it. keeps rocking up in Burton's movies. But. I, um, yeah, when Vincent Price encourages him to smile, it's as good a side gag as oh, Annie no, in and T2.
2: And, and that's the thing, I think...
1: Huh. <laughs> I forgot about that. Chris put a <laughs> smile on my face.
2: Yeah, but the thing is... And a pretty, very,
1: very rigid, fixed smile.
2: I mean, you brought this up, Chris, and I think, which is, I think this film for me established the fact that Burton is here to stay, not because that he chose to do this film from the side mm. money that he got, you know, after Batman he could have gone the commercial route and be like, you know, okay, I've made a traditional ish film. No, he was but picking good as projects. Would, as, as you would see with Batman returns. In fact, he doubled down on his vision. Mm. And actually when he got the freedom, he started to make movies, which were more him and less commercial. Yeah. So, I mean, that will, as we will go on to discuss, I think that's going to be a prominent trait for that. Actually, yeah, yeah I increase. agree.
1: Um, to, to bring things to finalize. Uh, actually, this is a major point in the film uh, to, to, to bring it, all back to the beginning of the discussion, though, on Edward's hands. my major criticism of it, I like the production design. I think it's very creative. It's great to look at. I think it would have been better in another narrative or more mooted. We see in his later career, Big Fish is the perfect example, how a slightly exaggerated realism lends itself to a narrative about accepting this real difference. I think Bernard was more interested in the world he could build than creating a production design that was necessarily and importantly and crucially reflective of the narrative he was trying to tell. I think it could have been a little more scaled back, Wisteria Lane style, even when to Pleasantville earlier. I think it's too exaggerated. I think it's for that end, it's too distracting from the stories otherwise trying to tell. But I liked it regardless. I just wish it had been pared back quite a bit.
2: I have this controversial hot take, which I feel that Tim Burton became a director out of almost... I guess some kind of outwardly cosmic coincidence, because he's a production designer first and foremost. It's just that the quirky ideas in the world that he has in his head, he cannot translate that for anybody else. So he mm. feels like he needs to make his own movie, and well, he, that he, he can he, actually build the world that he thinks. No, of. but
3: I think it's also that he thinks in terms of worlds. He thinks in t- He has a really cohesive and complete vision, so that it has to give birth to a story. Um, yeah. But I, I it, on that note, I disagree with Glenn. I don't think the aesthetic and the exaggeration of this film had to be pared back. It won no. me over enough because it was so fully realized. I just think the story needs a little bit more development.
2: Oh, yeah. The script needed a bit more, yeah. yeah.
3: I was okay with the zaniness yeah. of the vision of the
2: world. Yeah, this is this is a Tim Burton movie. I mean, it's got to percent all over it. Like, yeah. nobody else can remake this. Even today. Please don't. I, I would exactly. You. Like, that's the thing. It is so original and unique enough. And it has the right amount of innocence, Mm. which cannot be recreated by any other director because it'll be just, you know, it's a trademark Burton film. So I guess that's the best thing you can say about it.
1: Well, that is Edwards's hands. It's worth a rewatch from experience. The next film we're talking about is Batman returns. It's all in the title. It's one of my very favorite Batman films and very favorite Tim Burton films. It's great. It's better than Batman. It has my favorite Catwoman of all time, Michelle Pfeiffer. She's fantastic in this. I don't mind Anne Hathaway. um,
2: Very different takes
1: on the character. Very
3: different
2: not We haven't got that many great Catwomen, apart from Michelle Pfeiffer, to be honest, which were so close to the original zeitgeist of of the character. And Hathaway's uh, portrayal is- This is the
3: most villainous version of Catwoman that's ever been done, probably. even even in the comics, this would be leaning to the, the more villainous than has ever been done in comic interpretations.
1: Yeah, Nolan moved to the more of an ally of Batman. Certainly, Catwoman has always gone. She's an antihero. Are we, are we are we sure whose side she's on? Yeah, but um, I think the best balance of that. This film, I think, though, does
3: tilt her more to as as I just said, more towards being
1: actively villainous in some of
3: the things. Oh, yeah.
2: She has more agency. She's doing what she wants in this movie. It's not. Yeah, she's not beholden to Batman.
1: And this leaves you. But leaves you guessing a lot more than Nolan's film did. Yes, that's, that's true. Liked. I. She was also a great, importantly, Selena Kyle, as opposed to simply being a good Catwoman. There was the, the ballroom scene is. Oh, it's great.
3: So, I'm just speaking broadly about the film. I think this is now after re- rewatching it. I would say this is my favorite Tim Burton film, as well as my favorite Batman film. For me, this is just ultimate
2: okay. Tim Burton. Wow. Okay, this is this is a big take. I mean, controversial.
1: Well, I don't, I don't entirely disagree. I have, I think Sleepy Hollow is a personal favorite for me. I think this is technically a better film, though. For me, this
3: is such a great kind of comic book drama about weirdos. The big criticism of the film from fans at the time was that Burton it's, is more interested in the villains. Um, as opposed to Batman but I think that doesn't matter too much I think the villains are captivating we don't get so much of Batman but we get enough after a big focus on him in the last film um I think this stand on stands on its own really you don't need to watch the first Batman to no enjoy this
2: no um, not at all
3: um yeah I think the actors are all putting everything into it i love christopher walken in this film i love danny devito in this film and of course as you say michelle pfeiffer is um so kind of mysterious and f- like a, f- a cartoon version of sexiness like like she's yeah. so hyper sensualized, yeah. but
0: like did she even does off. the Per yeah, yeah, but has like, an
3: actual purr. yeah the creepy goofy oh, aspects the, the, of it like, the like meow swallowing. when the explosion happens yeah Gold. meow and, and you know licking herself and, and sw- you know swallowing birds and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I think it's it's a really funny script, which is something that a lot of Burton comedies lack. Um, coming here from Daniel Walters of Heather's Fame, the quips in this are actually really funny. Um, throughout the one liners are great,
2: I think that's the one thing that the Batman fans forget that this is a comedy, yeah, exactly. they just could not digest that change in tone but to I like for their beloved the hero to be experience. cast in a comedy
3: i think I think the tone, getting to why I think this is great Tim Burton film, the greatest Tim Burton film, I think the tone is perfect. I think it has that sense of the macabre. when I um watched it as a kid, it actually felt off-puttingly dark.. Um, but as, no, it's, as it's creepy, it's but it's, it's not really, scary, it's creepy. That's there's right, it's uneasy. It's, it's that's of right, thing. it's it's very creepy. Um, there's a great atmosphere drawing out that creepiness with the snowy Gotham City, um, like the kind of scary Christmas vibe which he lent into with his concepts for Nightmare Before Christmas, which he didn't direct. So we're not going to be getting into it today. Um, <laughs> but uh, a, yes, a lot of people,
1: fair call in case you're wondering,
3: a lot of people think it's a Tim Burton directed film. Um, but yeah, the, the tone is so thick. Sorry, the atmosphere is so thick. The tone it strikes is great, where it, it's funny, but also creepy. Um, I, yeah, I love all the villains. I think the story is engaging in the way it juggles all these um, weird characters. The, the weirdness of, of the characters is so endearing. Like I think Burton feels a genuine empathy for even the penguin, who's the
2: disgusting villain oh he does i think this is the best uh sort of psychological iteration of the penguin and his motivations Mm. and also his insecurities which i I think this is the one good thing about burton is that he can see so much empathy for loners and misunderstood people
0: yeah
3: and he sees batman catwoman and penguin all as types of that character
0: yeah
1: and i I don't. It's the same with Shrek to an extent. With uh, yes, that's right. Great Final scene. I don't have really too much to add about this film. I think it's exceptional. I think it's great. I like how he was able to build upon the law of Gotham, but work in his own mannerisms and style and imagery. I also like going back to Johnny Depp's turn, Johnny Depp's portrayal. How every actor, Keaton included knew just how seriously to take it and commit and didn't overly wink at the audience. Yeah, that's right. It's comedy. They're all working at the right level here. That's right. It's comic book kind of comedy
3: tone without being campy to the extent of like the 60s Batman.
2: Yeah, without Without, the... What's that? The... Oh, Sin City kind of thing, you know, the kapow's happening and the... the... Oh, like, like the 60s, but...
1: It's um, the idea that the performers are committed and are committed to the internal logic of the world. They don't need to, like, The Rock look at you and say, we know this is dumb, but come along for the ride with us. It still works dramatically.
3: Yeah, um, oh, and the, I, I really like how this film is bittersweet. How many comic book films strike that kind of bittersweet tone?
2: Why did it not work? I mean, I'm not sure what the consensus was of the people at the time, but it Um, did not work. People thought it was too
3: violent, too creepy, too weird. Ah. Um, Getting into the subject of violence, the action is a lot better staged than the first time. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just more experience from Tim
1: Burton handling action. Um, The goons actually felt like an actual threat. That's right. Could, Batman's has taking them seriously, could take them on. It, there's even, a lot of the old terrible Batman serials where it'd just be Adam West going, punch, oh, you're gone, Roger Moore, Karate Chop style. Here, he's actually taking them on. And mm. there's more confidence yeah. in how the action's
2: staged. Even the Penguin's umbrella, it's a real weapon. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. properly used as a weapon. And, you know.
3: The world of this film uh, feels complete. Comparing it to the Gotham in the last film, and it, um, which was very nicely designed. Um, in this film, it feels much more like a, com- a real city that you could live in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's that's more consistent. Thing, if we're making a contrast with the Nolan's world.
3: Mm.
2: Yes, we know Nolan's Batman world. Nolan's Batman really, world is like it's Chicago Gotham. or some
3: random city. Yeah,
2: whereas the- Gotham just feels like any crime city. You know, it's like yeah. a rat-infested that- city. It's like you could replace Joker, you know, of the DC, the new world. Which is seventies Chicago, and then Nolan's Batman City. It could be the same city essentially. It kind of feels like. The same well,
3: the, this Gotham I completely feels like that it's
1: Joker when discussing these films. It was great.
3: It this Gotham feels like its own place. Yeah. Oh in yeah. The, in the, like carrying on from Edward Scissorhands, it's like it's a complete vision of a complete world. Um,
2: yeah, and it I doesn't just, feel like any other city. It feels yeah. like it's got its internal histrionics.
3: Yeah. Um. The the characters and their dynamics are interesting. I love that he's so committed to the weirdness that it's an entire film populated with weirdos. It's not just like he's the one quirky character balanced out by everybody else. Yeah. I mean um and for a lot of people that went off into off the deep end and was too much. But I just um I think he manages not to go too far because and, and the, somehow, the tone is so well controlled.
2: Yeah. And somehow like looking back, I think there is this begrudging respect for Burton and how he sees weirdos as the actual heroes hmm. before. And this is before like the geeks and the nerds became, you know, mainstream. Yeah. So before the geeks like inherited that. everything. This
1: film was made at the time where it was, oh yeah, Batman. Oh, you're a bit of a geek. Okay. Like I suppose it's okay. But the, the
3: massive pop cultural domination, especially of the first Batman film is probably one of those things that led to, how, I would say starting to fade
1: era of geek dominance over pop culture. Yeah. It's been going on for quite a while. It's probably the most consequential film event. I'll argue like that in the first X Men hmm. and Spider Man. Spider Man, like the original Spider Man. Oh, Lord Spider-Man. of the Rings,
3: Lord of the Rings.
1: Oh, of a yeah, of a different tenor. But I wouldn't disagree. So is that? I mean, it's great. Batman Returns is fantastic. You should go see it yeah. again. But certainly the first time you haven't. This is this is like Peak Burton. This is where we get. I think into this like, is Peak Burton. Yeah, yeah, this ha- I, I, yeah, it's it's not. For the reasons i am going to discuss it's not a, like I said it's not a personal favorite. it is technically his best film, yeah like I, we're I,
2: getting to like a golden period of Burton films now like this is yes just... we are Next up he is had one of
1: his another one of his very best
3: one last thing on on uh, Batman Returns, as I said, he had way more creative control in this one than he did on the first Batman, and it totally shows but the one thing that he uh had thrust upon him is to make the movie more toyonetic, so there are a lot of gadgets in this film, which okay um does. Uh, characterize the 90s Batman films but, but, quite a bit, right? Like gadget thing, overload.
2: Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that, like the belt gadgets. They, they felt, because the Batman belt. They're, I like, think they were
3: properly integrated into the narrative enough that it didn't ever strike me as like, oh yeah, here's the yeah. toy. Like Here's you know, the example, carousel in,
1: reversal spray.
3: Like in Rise of Skywalker <laughs> when um, Ray shows up to show off her new, as the dark Ray, who has a new flip-up lightsaber that would work just great in an action figure. Are we calling calling ray her cameo.
2: dark ray or like fecal? Darth ray. ray. So, yeah, I
3: don't know. She's like cat lunch. That it was only a dream. Oh man. It was guaranteed was it was there for to, to for a toy. It was there for like, look, she's got a flip
2: out lightsaber. Yeah, it's a she's oh, toying man. with toying with our expectations, that's what they that were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh so can we, can, we, can we not talk about Rise of Skywalker, please? Please. <laughs> yeah.
1: so moving we're, on,
2: talking about we we're talking about everything else except Tim Burton. <laughs>
1: so, but let's talk about another bad director uh, after J.J. Abrams then, Ed Wood.
0: It's his next film. <laughs> yes, I, it I is.
1: Love, love and one of Burton's best films.
2: Yes, I think this is this period is so, so much fun. This is, this is like... Peak, peak burden. burden.
1: So this is the second film made with Johnny Depp. It is about the director of Plan 9 from Outer Space, Ed Wood, infamous for making many terrible, terrible films, but like us, an aficionado and a deep lover of all things cinema. It is about his career <laughs> in Hollywood and his relationship with others, including Bela Lugosi, played by Martin Landau. And this has a pretty packed cast. Sarah Jessica Parker, Bill Murray's in this. It's one of my very favorite Burden films. And because it follows in the, the vein of disaster, itis, Dolomite, in it being a film about someone who loves films and making cinema and historical documents that affect more than those. This has such an affection for its main character mm-hmm. and cinema. And so importantly, you could have made a film mocking Edward. It would have been so easy, but it treats him with reverence. It treats a pathetic show figure. It shows us pathetic, respectfully and kindly. And the I- thing I- is, he's only... In, in a lot of ways, Ed
3: Wood in this film is not pathetic. No. And yet the film doesn't deny that the films are bad, which I think it is such a great balance to strike. It's only pathetic in the sense of um, that he's not a success. Yeah. The film sees dignity in trying because it's what you believe in and it's the only thing yeah. you want to do when you have all the odds stacked against you. The and
2: final product is still fun. bad and it still recognizes the fact that he made bad films. But, but it's, it doesn't discount his dignity in persevering. Yeah, uh, making the movies because and, making
3: independent films like this
1: in in the fifties and sixties is insanely hard. Oh
2: yeah,
1: totally. Um, we should. I think it, it, this is most encapsulated by Wood's most famous quote. That's in the movie. Is in in referring to Plan Nine. This is what I'll be remembered for. It could have been an aha moment, but it's a moment of dignity. It's a moment of personal triumph. It's a moment of. It, it's it's nice. And on the matter of how films are made then, it shows him, you doing independent films with a minuscule budget and yeah. trying to get away with the worst special effects. But I think Bert and is here is talking about how he's perspective on film, and how exaggerated ideas, and how large and life set design, even if it's noticeably unreal, can have its benefit. I do think the burden makes the point clear here, in other films, but only by virtue of his practice, the burden, among many others, managed it much better than would.
2: Yep. I mean, this is definitely Johnny Depp's best performance. I feel in his career, if anything else, mainly because really? he's got this slightly, you know, wide-eyed. He's really good in this one. Yeah, um, but also it's like, almost, almost like he's not looking, yeah, realized. and he's looking at that wide-eyed kind of imagination look to it, like, you know, as if like, oh my God, that idealism that you see in like, you know, somebody right out of school, but, you know, he's clearly failed enough, but he's still not lost it. So it's still like, He's made enough bad movies, and yet he's not cynical. He's not down. He's still yeah. very upbeat throughout the Which film.
3: Which has to have been how the real Edward was—to have kept getting such yeah. terrible reviews and kept persevering. He must have had that kind of—I
1: promise it'll be better.
3: Yeah, perseverance and innocence to him. And um, that, so not be beaten down. And the, and the dynamic last, between Martin Landau,
2: point, yeah, and Martin well. Landau, and then yeah, uh, ultimately Ford he Ed succumbed does, to such.
3: Oh yeah, you're, yeah. That dynamic with Martin
1: Landau is so oh, warm, and it's, wow. the heart of the film. it's one of his best performances by far.
3: Yeah, it's, it's it's completely the heart of the film, um, and, and also film.
1: it's an it's a reverent performance for Bella Lugosi. It's not t- um, taking the piss out of a character and mm. performance that's been very much mocked, or not mocked, but parodied and satired. Um, Landau is showing it due diligence. He's showing that oh, this is a great actor who was at a, also at a height of his game. And I want to do some justice to him, rather than do a caricature as has been more prominently done in years in decades past. And
2: and mm. it's it's wonderfully shot. I think mean, we. we I was going it. to get to that. It's beautifully shot in black yeah, and white. The, it's one of the best shot film of the '90s that I remember. Yeah,
1: and, and it's not a
3: lot of um the okay a lot of films, uh, contemporary black and white films. I think don't fully know what to do with black and white. There are some yeah. huge exceptions to
2: this, that. They stylize the black and white element as an aesthetic rather than actually making it look like the time period. This, this
3: really, really captures the time period while yeah. also it having... It feels
2: like out of the 50s, the grainy feel yeah, to the, it. And the production, the way it works with the
3: production design and the the really, really deep shadow film in terms yeah. of these big, wide, um, distorted perspectives uh, that he always uses. Um, it the the blocking and composition is really great. Oh god! Way. I mean, and also, w- was this the last time that you could ever get Bill Murray to play such a minor role?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, the Bill Murray cameo before the Bill Murray cameo. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's be
1: Land. Excuse me. Right. Well.
3: Yeah, you're right. You're right. But um. But
2: then, But even though it's a minor role. It doesn't feel like a proper cameo. It's not a wing to the camera. He still has something to do. He's, he's playing a dramatic, like, you know, he's not playing Bill Murray. Now he just keeps playing Bill Murray and everything. Yeah. Uh, but this was still where he was, you know, doing something. So, but no, this is, this is such a good film. It's, it's probably the quintessential Burton film that I'd suggest people to watch if they wanted to understand what Tim Burton is all about. Like, you know.
0: I
3: would say Batman Returns, but, um, but Edward is, is definitely, um, it's his
1: coder
2: on filmmaking yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and also what to respect i mean you know what what should filmmaking stand for why should loners and pathetic people be cherished rather than be ridiculed it's got so much in there without being on the nose like at no point is there a speech or anything in a grand grandiose moment of triumph it's, 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 not, it's not a movie about triumph at all actually so it's it's, it's weird
3: Yeah, the the empathy for the characters shines through. These criticisms apply the least to this film than it does to other films by these writers I've seen. Um, But it's a criticism I always have of films by these writers who are Larry Karaszewski and Scott Alexander. Um, I think the the writing is sometimes a little bit straightforward and explanatory, like um, characters pop up in the background to, you know... um, Make exactly the right point where it's it's all a little bit too neat. They also wrote big eyes and Dolomite is my name. Guaranteed, they were hired for Dolomite is my name because it's a similar kind of character to Ed Wood in this film, because it fits within the world of Ed Wood's zany um, supporting cast that were always around him, um, and because this is a bit of a larger than life world visually. Um, the, the, the kind of unworldly, uh, unrealistic or non-naturalistic aspects of the screenwriting where it's a little bit ordered and neat don't detract so much. Um, um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I have nothing to say except I love this movie. It's, it's, it's so beautiful. There's such warmth in it. There's such warmth when I go and rewatch it. I've, I've watched it many times and it doesn't, even though I know everything, but it still feels like there's a sincerity and a warmth and a love in the way the movie's been made that really comes through. Like it it really reaches out from the frame and really grabs you and makes you fall in love with the movies again, which is like a feeling that I miss. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a movie that's deeply affectionate for film itself. We see these come years in, years out. Uh, Bowfinger was one that was probably that came a few years later. Mm-hmm. But this has more of a fidelity and affection for filmmakers themselves. But
3: this also, a lot of people compared The Disaster Artist to this film when it came out. But I think this film has
1: way more genuine humanity
3: oh, and
2: warmth. Oh, way, there's way more. Way... Disaster um, sure Yeah. Sorry, lo- I
1: thought Tommy was so bobblehead was behind me, I couldn't resist.
3: Um,
2: oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> yeah, the
3: um, I think there's... Way more depth in the characterization,
2: and also it's less. It's, it's it not doesn't cynical. feel like a joke. Like the disaster the, artist is more like a punchline. It yeah, feels way more simple. Like, it's winking to the camera a lot. Yeah, like
3: the the moments of we're going to show hard in the disaster artists yeah. feel de- um, prefabricated in comparison. One criticism I've had of this is I think the. um it kind of just trails off at the end as we get to the premiere of Plan 9. I don't think it has a, a kind of big finish.
2: Yeah, there's no resolution or, or any kind of thing. It just, it just kind of like
3: reaches the end and that now it's time for the film to end.
1: I think it, it sort of peaks emotionally maybe 30 minutes earlier. I think a lot of Burden films do this. Edward Hands to some extent, the film we're going to talk about next, um, which is actually, which is Mars Attacks. This, Mars Attacks also stars on a completely different tangent Sarah Jessica Parker, she's one of the main Actresses in this, and she was in Edward as well and Yes, I'm not A big fan of her as a performer I think this is her best performance though I liked her in this a lot more than I liked her In any of her TV shows Or any of oh, her yeah. um, I also think she's sort of given a more complex character Than she is Even here, like in She's Tricks generally in the
0: city? Oh dude,
1: yeah, Way more yeah, but Much better than Carrie Bradshaw, much better than this um, Absolutely So yep, yeah, that is Edward. The next film in Burton's filmography is Osasnar and Jetris Kapaka, which is Mars Attacks with an exclamation point. It has a huge cast, which includes Jack Nicholson, Glenn Close, Piers Brosnan, uh, Michael J. Fox is in this. Jack, Jack Black. Jack, early Jack Black. Pam Greer.
2: Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's just such a good cast.
1: It is about. Mars Attacking Earth. It is a spoof of the old 50s, 60s serials.
3: As well as 70s disaster films, I think. The all-star cast, I think, is a little bit of a nudge to things like the towering Inferno.
1: Yeah. You'd have seen those to get on board with this. I didn't like this when I was a kid, I think in part because I hadn't seen a lot of the stuff that it was satirizing or and to Inferno's lauding. I revisited it a few years back i liked it a little more given that context and knowing some of the performance other work certainly pierce brosnan among a few others came to the sort of height and Acquire. he'd just been cast as james bond i still don't like this in large part because it doesn't stick the landing there's no real satisfactory resolution i know the way the third act transpires meant to parody these sorts of easy resolutions but it still rings as very hollow the design of the aliens was fun i this is just not a film i enjoy very much I think it's an easy one to watch, but it, it
3: goes back to a lot of my stock Burton criticisms, which is that visually there's been so much thought yeah. put into it. The, um, the 1950s as, you know kitsch aesthetic yeah. in this is great, but I don't think there are many good jokes in the script.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not a comedy. For a comedy, it's not landing. It's not satirizing. It's not even a satire. That it's works. barely working that as, as a
3: comedy. Yeah, like, yeah, but what is funny about it, again, uh, going back to the criticisms I've had since Pee-Wee's Big Adventure of Beetlejuice, like, what is funny about it is uh, the visual gags.
1: Yeah. Some of the moments of you know, watching- The bird being shot is great, and the entire sequence then in serious That's my favorite scene in the film. The yeah. chandelier is really good. Some of the moments were of the aliens, um, you know, the diabolical stuff
3: they get up to, it uh, actually really funny, the scenes of them in the spaceship, you know, like laughing at messages from the president and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a strange film. It's a really weird film that only Tim Burton coming off the kind of run he'd had could have gotten funded, I imagine. It I know,
2: with this kind of a cost to come up with that story, and it's, to make that film, but, it, it's insane. And like, it's, nobody can do it today. But it's you know, really think...
3: strange because it's so morbid and, and grim. Yeah. There's and so, think... so much of, of like if this is like black comedy about people getting killed horribly by the aliens. And the movie doesn't care about anything. It's, it's like, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a great. very 90s type attitude, right? Yeah. Like well, I disagree. I,
1: I don't think that's the reason this didn't I land. I think part, a huge part of it is that this came out oh. around the same time as a similarly plotted film, Independence Day. Independence Day, Day yeah. No, I'm not saying this, that that's why it is great and people enjoy it for being sincere as Burton was in his earlier projects. But th- th- This movie is, yeah, it's hyper cynical, right? Um,
3: characters get killed off like it's nothing. And like part, it's got, kind of got the slasher movie type
2: appeal to it where. But it's part, you of, know, part of, of it is like fatalistic enjoying attitude the that deaths. like is clearly what Burton kind of envisions anyway. That, yeah. You know, the people a, who are who are even more lonely and and outcast than us are the aliens. So <laughs> they become the heroes and we and, are then the villains. Because I don't know. We're... I'm
3: I, I think the only guy who's really the hero well there's two. There's the the teenage boy who um it, you know just wants to save his grandma.
2: See once again it's it's who it's is the lonely person. outcast, his family <laughs> hate him. Totally totally
3: Burton. Um and the the, the guy who is uh the, the former prize fighting boxer who's now struggling um you know to reconnect with his family where he's not being given respect he deserves at work again it's the struggling outcasts people um the loners but yeah um especially the teenage kid and, but it's and it's, it's obvious that era. you
2: know the, the people who die first are the, For the most figures, part right? um yeah Okay, and they're the ones that get killed off. It's without notable that this is
3: based on a 1950s trading card series, which um, was controversial at the time. Parents hated it, tried to get it banned, etc. Because the appeal of it was gory illustrations showing the way that Martians kill a bunch of people. The movie is actually way toned down versus the trading cards, where it's when you consider that this was something in the 1950s, it's like it's really gruesome. It's like real, like um, people's organs exposed and stuff like that. Uh, and, and those were aimed at kids <laughs> way more than this film was. <laughs> um, so, But, yeah, this movie doesn't quite go that far with the gore, but it's trying to capture that kind of attitude where it, it's about enjoying the spectacle of mass death, which is, a, in the context of a 50s spoof, it's a really weird movie. And it's r- really weird that this was given a sort of, of a blockbuster budget <laughs> i think that's the, the one like, thing what?
2: that i still can't wrap my head around is that burton was able to make the most unconventional not even i wouldn't say it's super
3: quirky
2: work, i would say actually straight out loud like i don't think any other director could get that kind of cast and funding for that kind of a script and treatment no apart from um I can't yeah see anyone who could do that
3: I did, but yeah i don't love the film um i agree that it I don't think that the ending is such a big distraction about oh that's ridiculous. You know, that um it's such a cheap, easy resolution because everything in this movie is dumb Yeah. <laughs> so for me it's just like one well, that's okay. also like One more thing pretty much everything oh, okay, in Tim Burton
2: World is dumb because you know it all comes back to who's getting, you know, mistreated versus who's doing the oppression. It
1: wasn't what yeah. all- was dumb for me is that it was lazy and hackneyed and Keech, not Keech in a good way. It revolves around a particular piece of pop culture, which by referencing it is such a knowing wink at the audience, which operates on a self-aware level and that the rest of the film doesn't even. So it, it asks, it asks for even more, it asks another level of commitment to this world, which by this point, which we're tired, we're just not willing to give. It annoyed me. It still annoys me. It's not a film I'd really like to or plan to revisit again. But yeah, man, the, the
3: I, I with the dog yeah. stuff,
1: it's so, <laughs> so morbid.
2: I know, but also like, it kind of feels like, if I can chart my childhood, like Tim Burton movies are a phase, and as you kind of grow, you're coming of age, sort of phases, each Tim Burton movie is sort of like encapsulating that phase from like the early...
1: And that I can't wait to talk about the next movie.
2: But like early teenage innocence of Edward Scissorhands, then going into the misunderstood Gothic phase with Batman Returns, to like the late teens and I hate the world and everything should die, which is Mars Attacks. So it kind of feels like it's charting your, your kind of rebellious phase from teenagehood to like you know becoming an adult. Um, s-
1: speaking of a film that I should not, are we ready to move on to the next one?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of a film I should not have watched at this age, uh he's 1999 fixture Sleepy Hollow, set in 1799. Oh, this actually, I, I had the great pleasure of watching this last week. I've watched this, irrespective of how much I love it. I actually am very sparing with how much I watch it. I watched it. I watched it once every ten years. I watched it when it came out. I watched it in 2009, 10, and I rewatched it again last week. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's probably my. I don't think it's technically his best film, but it's my favorite film to revisit. It is set in 1799 in Sleepy Hollow. It is about Ichabod Crane, a classic story. It is starring Johnny Depp in this role. He is a scientist who, at the turn of the century, is sent to northern Massachusetts um, at that time, quite a distance away from New York, to investigate deaths of a number of villagers in Sleepy Hollow, who it turns out have been beheaded. The villagers all believe it is at the behest of a mysterious headless horseman. The scenario of Christina Ricci and Casper Van Diem from Star Trek Troopers and a number of Others who would, including a number of actors who wanted to be in Harry Potter. Another slightly hyper-exaggerated world. And Christopher Walken from Batman Returns.
3: Yes, and Christopher Lee in a, a great little cameo.
1: I, as much as I don't like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, I prefer his cameo in that. Okay, um, I wonder if it's just nostalgia why you love this movie so
2: much, because I thought it was fine. Yeah, this is the least Burton movie that I can uh, oh, oh, I no.
3: wouldn't say that. I look, I think the production design marks it as a super Burton movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, really. and like, and and Tim um, Johnny Depp as as this weird goth dude <laughs> with gadgets. Yeah, <laughs> um, so much fun. Can I? I just remember when this movie was coming out. I remember um, having like this morbid fascination with it. I didn't see it as a kid like you, but I remember when it, it was coming out and seeing the trailers and being spooked out, um, and seeing this. You know, those quad posters in like the um, the long horizontal posters for movies yeah. that would like hang down from the roof kind of thing. Yeah, there was one for Sleepy Hollow, which had uh, Johnny Depp with his weird steampunk eyeglass eye contraption thing. And I think it's just so funny thinking back to that, having seen the film, because in the context of the film, it's just ridiculous. And it's it's I think it's meant to be funny, all the gadgets he uses. But um, on the poster, it's like, wow, look at this cool guy with his amazing yeah. contraptions. Oh, I, love that. I love
1: the scene where he brings out the-
3: Inspector
2: Gadget. It's that, so is a,
3: yeah, that, is, that is a good scene. Um, his character is my big issue with this film, I think. Because he, Johnny Depp's character is kind of pathetic, like in the way that he brings about all his arrogance early on and the way that he brings out all of these um, Ichabod Crane. I, I, sorry, I just wanted to say his name. Um, it's a great right. name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, the way that he brings out all these gadgets to um, try and solve with science, there's supernatural crime. Um, we and, will solve
2: it with science. Yeah, he,
3: he comes across as, as kind of pathetic, but he doesn't um, redeem himself from that impression for me. He remains unsympathetic. And I think a big part of that is Johnny Depp's performance. I think Johnny Depp is miscast here. Um, he's characterized by all these tics, Like, when he's constantly doing this pull-his-lip-back-I'm-disgusted-by-something expression, he does it about, like, ten times in the movie. Um, And it's such caricature that to then kind of also buy into
1: this guy as a romantic hero, I couldn't do. I think he's... I I, I actually think this is one of his lesser performances. I think Christina... I agree. She's way better than him. um, Rings around him. You see here a more mooshed version of what he would do in, I think his worst collaboration with Burton, and I would say Burton's worst film 12 years later, which is Dark Shadows. I still oh nonetheless like him because Burton is the ingenue um, audience identification figure who goes in this town. You need someone to play a relatively straight man in a crowd where everyone believes that a headless horseman is coming and is captaining everyone. I, so think, I think Depp could have done it. It's just maybe a different approach was needed. I, 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 I think he was... I think he was off-kilter here. I don't think he was bad. I think he misjudged uh, the, a bit of the turn of the film compared to a number of others in it, Ricci most prominently, and Walken, I'd say. Walken is great, even though it is if dialogue back thereof. Um, there's a few reasons why I adore this so much. I'm gonna go into the main ones, but, but to note as a side element, this was the first major burden film, Sweeney Todd followed later, where he was basing it on known lore and fables and um, urban legends, all of Burton's films are quirky. Not all of them are eerie in the way Batman Returns is eerie. Because of that built-in lore, and in the same way that Sweeney Todd, despite its attractions, was quite eerie, I found this quite eerie. Most people know the version of Sleepy Hollow, its adaptations, this is going back to that, and it had that basis, which I think worked to the benefit of the film. What this does, what I think Big Fish does too, which really works in Burton's favour, is that it is about a main character who is has a fealty to the real realism and has visits himself upon a world where he has to accept to some extent that something magical or surreal is happening. It is analogous to Burton's style of storytelling moreover. And therefore, I think what Burton's whole ideation as a filmmaker works better in the context of this sort of narrative and, and benefits the sort of production design which he was going for. On the matter of the production design, i like... It's great, and yeah. it's at the right level. It's not hyper-exaggerated like um, uh, scissor hands, It's not mooted like uh, Big Fish to an extent and Big Eyes. It works in the type of narrative he's going for. Slightly creepy, but still realistic house. You need to believe that this is a place people would have come across in 1799.
3: I agree. He, it's the over-the-top Burton um, aesthetics, but grounded just enough for the tone of this film
1: which, and the tone works so well in the scripting because we need to be able to jump between characters all the time, between expedition. The the pace of this film, and it befits the plotting of this film is incredible. It's a very densely plotted movie by the standards of any mystery. And the sequences where we are delivered about the expedition, which are necessary in a lot of these narratives, they're boring or obvious in most, but the scenes where characters rock up and deliver things we need to know, in the in this level of exaggeration, it works and it's fun, especially when Richie and I'm sorry he plays um Bernard Dursley. and love the, the actors are doing it. It works, so I, I think everything he got the right tone here in terms of what the performers are going for, what the production design was going for, what the narrative was going for, and I, I love it. It's also one of the hallmarks of gothic modern gothic filmic fiction.
3: Again, I, I like this visually, but as a story, I guess I just found it undercooked. Probably because I couldn't really emotionally invest in it. I yeah, I mean, myself... this is
2: this is a, this is a pretty cold.
3: Yeah, it I leaves did find it pretty cold. I'd found it. Yeah, I agree. It left me cold. I didn't feel the same kind of um, real love and warmth for the characters that uh, I usually feel in Burton's
2: films. I mean, it's interesting and that, that Glenn, made a big difference for me. Glenn would point out maybe, that it's you know grounded in fables and that kind of old school lore, which would actually Help ground a lot of those quirks and you know oddities of Burton's vision, because it does fit in really well in that kind of fable universe. Because a lot of Burton's stories do kind of feel like moral fables, essentially about accepting outcasts and, and you know uh, and not being so rational in that sense.
0: I, I think, so I feel
2: like this story should align, but in some some ways, because of that extra grounding pillar it doesn't allow him to be as you know far-fetched in his because it's i feel when burton is best is when he's allowed that emotional freedom to really go off kilter and that really allows him to draw out characters in a way that he can do it
1: yeah i I appreciate that as a narrative as a detective narrative it's more the plot emphasis than character emphasis the element of the outcast comes in much more prominently in the Dunouement, but we only get that when we find out what is actually going on. We do get it to some extent when we see the lady in the woods, but I and I, I appreciate that a lot of the, the character development and sacrifice plot development. Having said that, I like detective fiction and this has a lot more character beats going for it than most of it. The
3: detective um aspect of the film I think is decent, but again, I don't think it's plotted intricately enough. It's it's well uh doled out, the information, but For whatever reason, it wasn't intricate enough or um, twisty enough for me to really be drawn in. Yeah, I I, I agree with Virat's characterization where he said it's cold and it basically leaves you cold. I admire it for the vision and the visuals. Um, But yeah, I don't find it particularly scary or particularly gripping um, or particularly emotionally interesting.
1: I found that... Was that element of the film was largely carried, in fairness, by Richie because we knew she cared for her father and some of the other characters in the village. A lot of the other relationships weren't as developed. I agree. I think we did get it, we did get it to a fair extent from the Casper Van Diem character, but we don't get as much exposure to him. And just as a side note on that, one thing I do appreciate in this more than in most Burton films is that the action scenes, the fight scenes. Are very, good. very good. They're very well choreographed, particularly with the horsemen. There's an amazing physicality to the performer. Um, it's brutal. It's like watching some of the uh, sword fights in Game of Thrones. They're great. They're, yeah, the really swift decapitations and disembowelings
3: in this uh, are really brutal and it's striking. But going back to what you were saying about Christina Ricci carrying it emotionally, I think she does because she's a great performer and she has that innocent look that uh, Burton's going for in so many of his films. But when it comes time to like oh someone you love's just being killed and her character is it's never even you know really depicting people grieving um that i think that speaks to the coldness that me and Virat see in it that takes away from it
0: yeah
2: i mean i know that's not what it's going for but it just
3: makes it adds to the sense of bloodlessness to it well it's a very bloody film but yeah i mean i
2: mean it's it's almost like there is a degrading and i think part of it is I guess, growing up when you're watching it. I think you're watching it at the older stage in life. But also, there's a creeping cynicism that's crept into Burton's style of filmmaking that you can see from Mark yeah. tax that is now also evident here, where he's not as committed to the wide-eyed, romanticism <laughs> of universe. And you can see that he doesn't treat death with as much sincerity as he would otherwise in his earlier films. I where- think,
1: though, in fairness, part of that is that the coldness is necessary to the construction of the village and the environment. By necessity, we're in a noirish world where people don't care for each other, and that emphasizes the Christina Ricci character who is kinder and feeds into the emotional payoff in the very final scene of the movie, um, what's necessary to this is that this is a world where people don't like each other and that good people need to rise above. By virtue of that, and by consequence of that, most of the characters aren't empathetic characters, there are very few are. But Burden does focus on them. He gives enormous breadth for Ricci to work, as he does as Ichabod Crane. I'd say the, uh, in the Dunamont, who we find out to be the villain, in spite of a very hamish performance, is also quite a sympathetic figure. And I liked that turn. I can't go into details without spoilers and yeah. it's, it's a mystery, but I appreciated that. Um, and lastly, um, sorry, go for No, no,
2: no, that's fine. So go, go for
1: it. I, I was just going to say on a, a final note for me in this movie, not a lot of films in modern day, a lot of audiences reject ideas of superstition as bogus or whatever. And I liked in a film we talked about, *Master McMaster and Commander, it had showed a non, had a non-judgmental approach to how, the 19th century captain mm. uh, had approached superstition of the waves. Yeah. That was a, that was a really
3: nice aspect of master and commander. We didn't get into last week, actually. Yeah.
1: yeah. This is a film that also deal much more heavily deals in superstition. And we don't see a lot of films that do certainly the witch did. a Robert Eggers great movie. I liked that this covered, this. not a lot of burning films are done. not a lot of films have done by a stretch. And that was really good. I,
2: yeah. I, I can see why you'd like it, Glenn. I mean, not no, that you know it now makes a lot, a lot of people love
1: this one it's one of bernon's most popular
2: okay well, it's it's
1: perennially on
3: either netflix or stan so clearly there's a demand for it
2: yeah i i felt like burton peaked with the the trio the you know edwards with the hands batman Returns. me too and Ed Wood. i think yes yeah. that's, that's, like, that, that's that's the peak i agree Holy trinity if there is one yeah
1: but the, of all the films you'd want to just revisit for a fun night of any of those even though batman returns I'd say this, I could put this on. Ooh, no. <laughs> oh
0: no, No,
2: I'd, I'd pick, if I want a, like a fun, without using my mind, I'd go Edward hand. If I want a much, a bit more intellectual engagement, I'd pick Edward and, and Batman Returns. Man Man Returns. Batman Returns, put on Batman
3: Returns.
2: As, as, as a fandom thing though, because like, I wouldn't want to like watch it with other people who are not as into it.
1: Um, t- just to note, oh, so this came out, this was the first major role for Christina Ricci not very long after casper and burton knew just how to use it that was also an eerie film which dealt with the spirit well obviously a very different tone but he brought her over to this and it was such a great call she's Burton
2: in the 90s just knew how to use his actors so well i mean Mm. it's just as that's one of the good things about it like yes as a visual designer but also he knew his actor strengths like you know the right casting and the right look because often so much of his movies rely on Communicating a certain kind of look. It needs to be innocent, or like you need to communicate a certain kind of emotion or feeling. And you basically stand in for that feeling throughout the whole film. Right. So when the yeah. audiences watch you, they need to feel that, essentially. So, yeah.
1: so that is Sleepy Hollow. I strongly recommend it. The next one we're talking about is not a film I'd strongly recommend, which is Burden's remake of Planet of the Apes in 2001. I also saw this in cinemas. It is starring Marky Mark and Helen Bonham Carter, his then wife. And I have uh, Tim haven't Roth. seen this in ages, so I'm not going to
3: have much to say. I couldn't be bothered. There, we, there's only so much time.
2: Yeah. yeah. Are we. In, pre- are to we, prepare no,
3: for this episode and on God's Green Earths? Yeah. So, we'll like, yeah. uh, we be watching movies for a This is uh, not one we, of the ones we, any of us uh, revisited. Uh, in do, we have do you have some thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I saw this when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually watched it since. Sorry, uh, internet connections. Uh, this is going to happen. Uh, internet connections are a little unstable. Uh, I, I, I saw I, the first my introduction to the world of the planet of the apes was the original of Charlton Heston. It's a great movie. It's a great movie because it uses the apes and the situation of the astronaut as an analogy for this then very prominent and still prominent civil rights struggle. This replaces that and begets all that and just takes the action oriented aspects of it and the pure sci fi aspects of it. I like sci fi, but this melds it down to let's smash some. Let's smash people together. Let's have people fight. one It's a, it's it's a dumb remake. big spectacle. It's a dumb remake. I'll, I'll say two things in its favor. One is that it knew the audience was very familiar with the famous twist of the Planet of the Apes. It didn't so try they to remake that, but tried it tried to come up with their in. own twist. It tried to go with their own twist and brought it in, it brought another twist early in the movie and re established that twist from the first movie earlier on, too. I appreciated that. It didn't treat us as stupid. Um, but the, now that the twist at the end of this movie is just now what?
3: Because it really, really demands the sequel, and since this didn't succeed critically or commercially enough, and it's just left standing, it's just this big what's it like a, a pre M Night Shyamalan kind of? um We have to have a big twist moment. No, we not like post, po- post, the post, the post M Night Shyamalan post man. post post Unbreakable as well. So yeah, yeah. post so, so, M Night
2: Shyamalan like coming coming out of like such a great run with Sleepy Hollow and stuff when he was committing to his vision. This seems such a sellout kind of a film. It's totally a sellout film, yeah. This is just I think, like, nothing he, Tim Burton about it. No,
3: it doesn't feel that Tim Burton at all. I think he chose to do it because um, it would write him some blank checks for the future to do the big studio film because it was a big priority for Fox to make a new Planet of the Apes movie for a long time. And also it lets him play with the makeup effects. Yeah, that-
1: and world building. Yeah, on that, and something I do give the film credit for, I'm not a really big fan of the latest three Planet of the Apes films, notwithstanding the quality of the tech and Andy Serkis' performance and that of others, but here it's all prosthetics and makeup, and it's good, like in the original movie, and it's better prosthetics and makeup than the original movie. I'm fine with just dressing people up and having them run around. We don't need special effects. It helps us buy into the world, notwithstanding the terrible storytelling in this. I liked that. It's one of the things I liked more than the other Planet of the Apes films, for the rest of it, it's not worth seeing. It's not a good drama. It's not even a good action flick. Got a weird turn from Paul Giamatti. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> this from is everyone. Everyone though. in so this
2: film was just Remember,
1: this, this is the decision. guy who was in like two Big Mama's House movies. He paid his dues he before he got to do sideways yeah. and everything else.
3: It was weird last week seeing him in such a tiny role in The Truman Show. <laughs>
1: right, he's one of the tech guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing Samuel L. Jackson as one of the tech guys in Jurassic Park. <laughs> right. Wait, was What he? are you doing? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. What's going on? Yeah,
1: yeah. No. Oh, okay. pre Pulp Fiction. pre Pulp Fiction, yeah. Um, ah. Does anyone have anything else to say about Planet of the Apes?
2: No, God, no. Let's move on. No, let's move on.
1: Quickly. Uh, quickly, in the next film, I also saw, I had a great pleasure of seeing in cinemas, Big Fish, one of my very favourite burdens. It is starring Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney. It is about a young man who, on his father's death, And the young man in this future future world is played by Billy Crudup, um, is unearthing details about his father's life, a lot of which is told in flashback. His father in flashback is played by Ewan McGregor. In modern time, it was played by Albert Finney. This is a lovely film, as is the the very underrated musical. Like Sleepy Hollow, it is about a main character who, like the audience, has to question whether they're buying into a world of quote-unquote make-believe, hyper real and it's nice and every scene is built around this the great encounter earlier on in the forest where he creates this Aldo community but in order for it to sustain itself we'll have to make keep up the illusion and be a part of it A great metaphor for filmmaking and particularly burton's style of filmmaking i'm very fond of this film i always have been i revisit it every few years or so and what are the better human work performances too i really like it i think it's one of burton's best
2: Wow. Uh, I think this is this is good in the sense it's at least does something different for the first time you get to see a kind of father figure and authority figure. Yes, he's dead, but you know, some kind of affection towards them. Because Burton just doesn't seem to like his uh, father figures at all. So this, this
3: is a movie uh, about healing. That yeah. Apparently Burton did actually have a very strained relationship with his own father, if, I, I which probably won't surprise you to hear.
2: But I'm glad if if this was like a a therapeutic kind of film that he made, it's still a very affectionate love letter to his dad or to a dad in general. Yeah. It's got a lot of warmth and affection. And it's the least quirky in in terms of trying to be genuinely affectionate towards a person who's mis. So once again, I think, because you know how Burton's character is misunderstood. Here the misunderstood Monica is now adopted by the dad, who's usually misunderstood by the son. And he has to then come to terms with understanding his dad a bit better. So in that Which sense- Which played out his relationship Burton with film. several
1: others, including the giant. Yeah,
2: yeah. so um, still a Burton film, but I think it's uh, uh, the kind of uh, the central conceit, I guess, of who's misunderstood. played out a lot better in this film because of this, uh, I guess, central premise.
3: Yeah, look, I like this film. I don't like it as much as everybody else seems to. Um, I'm not sure whether it's just that I think because movie. we're just
2: talking it about after Planet of the Apes. I suddenly Oh, realize. yeah, compared I, to know, Planet of the Apes where, where Where it's coming in the discussion kind of loop. Anything to make compared to
1: Planet of the Apes. This is,
2: this, you,
3: this is probably the last, this is probably the last yes, really the good last. Burton film, Yeah, right?
1: yeah. yeah. we all agree, agree on that? I agree. Like I like Sweeney it. Todd. I'll get into it later, but I think it's the last really good burden.
2: I like Corpse Bride, but I also- like Corpse oh, Bride. I was Bride. forgetting Corpse Bride. That yeah.
0: I
1: really dig that one.
2: Yeah. Um, but,
1: but yeah big, the big, last big, big Eyes is good, but it's the last great Burton film.
0: Yeah.
1: But, yeah.
3: I, I think for me, maybe the tone just crosses over a little bit
1: too much into like
3: Forrest Gumpy kind of schmaltz. It's better handled than Forrest oh, yeah, yeah. Gump. Don't get me wrong. Um, there,
2: there's too many platitudes. Like, it, it doesn't.
1: Yeah, platitudes is okay, a good the, way the of putting it The film it. does I, I stop was, at a time to deliver um, its message I was struggling
3: give it to
2: explain Yeah, yeah
3: Yeah, I was uh, struggling actually to Put into words what I don't kind of like about this film I think maybe it just takes um, Yeah, I don't know I mean, I, the, I the, mean, the formula, formula is the not
2: the bad thing About it, it's just that uh, It almost becomes Hyper sincere, if there is a word to it Like, you know, it it Takes itself seriously enough where it feels like oh you know here's what it's trying to say and here's a message message
1: and i think that's okay and but I, this le- leads to into a more broader criticism of burton's work the form doesn't always benefit it he makes great animations and sometimes the stories are more befitting animation we're going to talk about a film a perfect example of that just after this he's ral Dahl adaptation With Big Fish, I mentioned the musical earlier, which no one has really seen because it only didn't run for very long. But the platitudes of what I was talking about, I agree that's a fair... Sorry, Chris was talking about. I agree that's a fair criticism. But that sort of storytelling, that sincerity, works better in big, grandiose Broadway songs, which is why I really like the musical. Having said that, I think there are bits where it gets a little... does get a little smoltsy. It it certainly does towards the end, though I think that's a problem because at that point the film. We'd bought these characters. We'd bought the sincerity...
3: I think part of my issue is that the constant switching between the, um, the stories that are being t- recounted and the present day stuff, which entail a big tonal shift towards the, you know, very sincere look at um, grieving and coming to terms with a strained relationship and, and looking for answers versus the really fantastical rump kind of um journeys along the way i think kind of derail the momentum of the film i think they come together really nicely at the end yeah um i think the i think the ending is beautiful but and very well foreshadowed yeah but i i think i just in general don't buy into the present day material as much as i do the fantastical stuff
1: Oh, I prefer the fantastical elements of it too, in fairness, yes. Yeah, I, I
3: think the they act, they, they also maybe Burden feels a little bit out of his, el- his element
1: directing that material as well, like handling the actors and handling the tone. Um, on the element, on the matter of the fantastical stuff, uh, one of my favourite scenes in, in this film is the sequence where that all the daisies in the field. And that is an example of mm-hmm. Burton's exaggerated imagery, but working in a very practical environment. It worked there. It worked in the scene with the fortune teller. Um, it worked to some extent in uh, the scenes with the larger man, but that was one of the finest moments. in it. it's one of Burton's best standalone images, Hugh McGregor standing out in the daisy field. Yeah. The imagery is great. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I would recommend this.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that this is a bad oh, uh, film. Yeah. I like it too. It's just that after that great run, this is definitely a letdown. I mean, I'm discounting Planet of the Apes as like a hiccup. I kind of have blocked it from my memory.
3: I but prefer like, this one to Sleepy Hollow. I think um, the emotionalism yeah, of yeah, this play is graded to yeah, Burton's yeah, strengths. Yeah,
2: yeah. but it's just, I kind of feel like now that I look back and there's such a long break after Corpse Bride for a great Burton film. Mm. This kind of does feel like one of the last us. <laughs> and it's you know so there's more nostalgia because of that and, and this being able to independently see this thematically
3: well. this one's really leaning into his strengths though you know because yeah, it's about oh, totally. imagination and it,
0: it's
2: about yeah he's the one who never grew up he's probably and he lived yeah. his life like that he, he dresses up like that he's a he's he's just you know it's he's not a different person. Like when you see him on red carpet and stuff, he he's like that. So Actually, on, on, he, that, on
1: with with Burden on the red on the red carpet. Everywhere else, Burden very clearly in each of his films. Edward Hands is uh, far from, from exception. Um, Corpse uh, Corpse Bride, Sleepy Hollow, he is very much emulating himself in a main figure. He's not doing that in Big Fish, and it's one of the first really prominent films where a really good films where he doesn't. Oh, no, um, that,
3: that's true. Uh, Perhaps because uh, it's yeah, a that, novel adaptation, that, but yeah, there doesn't point. seem to be the stand in. I am the, <laughs> I am the Tim Burton figure. Like we do have this wide eyed, innocent discovering the world and doing things. His own way and reshaping He's it's, it's a much more of a pro social, like he's much less of an outcast. He's an outcast only because he's so gregarious and sociable, mm. and, uh,
2: with, which Brilliant, which, essentially. which is essentially which is also like in the Burton world would be of course an outcast because he's so social and so gregarious. Yeah. I do like how
3: he plays with all these different genres. Yeah. Um, the circus section of the movie is is really nicely imagined visually and in terms of the atmosphere and the tone of it. It's funny Danny DeVito playing the circus conductor and then he does that again in, in The Dumbo. Ringmaster in
1: Dumbo. Yeah, weird. Yeah. I, sp- yeah. I actually had that in my notes. I'm like, "Oh, this is this is odd." Yeah, I, I never saw
3: Dumbo beyond seeing the trailer, but I remember watching the trailer and being like, hang on, is this just Big Fish too?" <laughs> I oh, only,
1: I'd, I would rather... I, I haven't seen Dumbo, but I no, would but rather... No, I, I, have
2: been, I haven't either. Or or no, so, that is... The last great the last Burton film. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, that is... So the Big Fish, yeah? Yeah. Next one. So, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The one thing I'll give this film is that it called it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and not Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, they had to distinguish themselves from uh, the Gene Wilder film. But actually calling it after the name of the title of the book, I'm not a big fan of the Gene Wilder film or most style adaptations. This is a lot worse. It came out in, what was it, 05, 06? 2005. 2005. There, Johnny Depp, the fifth collaboration is playing Willy Wonka. It is a it relies much more heavily on animation and CGI than most of Burden's films. And it takes place, obviously, with Charlie Bucket, who gets a golden ticket and goes to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, one of five prize winners, to tour the factory and learn about Oompa Loompas and the crazy man that is Willy Wonka. I don't like... Darl's one of my very favourite authors. I, there are very few good adaptations. The only good live ones by my reading are The Witches and Danny's the Champion of the World, the latter of which has a very different tone. This is the sort of Burton film that would have benefited more greatly from being in animation was certainly some of his best work. We're going to talk about the corpse Brian in a few minutes. This is the sort of thing that would be benefited, benefited from being in an animated environment. A burn relies too heavily on what he cannot conjure by using, by using simply actors. And it is overly distracting. He Wants to build a sense of scale in this world, but he can't when it's just individuals against what is so obviously a green screen throughout the, re- well, I don't like the original film, the rendering of the Oompa Loompas of Willy Wonka, it's not as good and more of a depth. It's one of his weakest performances. He is so winking at the camera. It required the Michael of Jackson. Self-serious role to turn and it wasn't. And this was a bad movie. I think it's okay. Um
3: I, I think it's very, it, the Burton or tourist part of it, you know, really comes in towards the end as we go into the, yeah. um, the sad Michael Jackson, I Have No Childhood, Willy Wonka stuff. Um, I, I
2: think the the best part of the movie was the, the relationship between Charlie and his grandfather.
3: Th- I thought that was actually really nice to there. And
2: and and you probably know probably better than the original film. Oh, way way better. Way better, because, yeah. I think because the grandfather at least felt like he had something to do, and he actually is a moral center of the entire film. And he, he's he's a kind-hearted figure. I think it's it's uh, to Burton's credit how he's able to conjure up. Uh, Adults uh, who are kind-hearted in that sense where, you know, it's, it's, it's a childlike thing where if someone is that old and that young, they kind of feel like they have the same kind of innocence. You and know, where the grandfather and, and the, the child, the they have a similar innocence to each other.
1: And the grandfather had more charisma in the original film than the actor who portrayed him in the 2005 film. I agree there was a chemistry between them, but I think that didn't exist um, to the negative consequence of the original '71 film, as lousy in most respects as it is,
2: I think. Yeah, it's the uh, Willy Wonka aspects and and uh, and the and the Johnny Depp characterization that really pulls the film down. And and yes, and the songs aren't that great either. Yeah, that's
3: much. true. The, the, so it's it's. Int- I wonder if uh, Elfman just put a lot more effort into the songs he would have been writing at a similar time period for Corpse Bride.
1: Um But it was yeah, all the same guy playing all the Oompa Loompas, which. Was it, was, it was bad weird, not good weird. Uh,
0: hmm. It's another
1: film that
3: primarily exists for Tim Burton to have fun with production
2: design. Um, I, but I, but it, it does become a bit mechanical, though. Like The production it is, design in this one is not as inventive and evocative as in other Burton films. So this is definitely I the gradual decline, even in the production design quality and the imagination aspect as well.
3: Um, I think as it goes on, it loses steam. I think when it starts out there's a decent amount of wonder to it, but um i do agree it feels overly mechanical.
2: Especially when and, the scenes where the factory is closed and it's first opened, you do get the sense of wonder and like yeah. you know, you get the sense of childlike am- amazement of seeing something for the first time. Yeah, when the gates are open. That that bits are really well done. But when we actually enter inside the factory it does become there's a
3: slasher movie aspect to this story, right? Where you're, you're waiting to see how everyone gets picked off. Um, but there should be fun in the rhythm of anticipating how the, the next yeah. child yeah. is going to be wiped out Augustus out of the running. Bloom but In this, it just home. sort of becomes
2: boring. Augustus Bloom will not be the, the thing anyway.
1: with that is, it should be eerie if it's going to be a slasher type movie. But Burton falls in the trap here. He does it with Alice in Wonderland 2 where he's being quirky without being interesting or <sighs> Eerie or necessarily creepy. Um, With there's a scene in the Italian chocolate factory, which is clearly drawing on Alice in Wonderland, where he goes into this tiny door and he just uses it to unlock a bigger door. Which, when Carol deployed that sort of imagery, it had consequence and meaning behind it. With Bird, and says, "Look, this sounds and on paper like it will be interesting, but it's not in practice. The entire film plays out with little tidbits like that. Um, He's and he's exhausted a lot of um the, the interest that w- which it, we, when we have we don't we don't have such jokes recurring within the first even twenty minutes of the movie. It's yeah, I mean dull and, and for then me.
2: the whole you know, each each child and their parent kind of relationship is also kind of very tired tropes with the helicopter mom and violet and then Augustus Bloom and his Gloop, what, and Gloop. it's everything is The Great
3: being greedy nincompoop. and poop.
2: Uh, that's true. and look all
1: the kids Mike TV, Violet Beauregard, Baruch Assault were all played, better it, in the original movie so was Charlie all the, the kids were just more larger and lively in the original by
0: far
2: yeah this, this had a, a meanness to it which, it did, actually, yeah. uh, which was, felt really weird for actually uh, a film when you're adapting Roald it does, this a, it's a mean well, the, the
3: meanness was more pronounced in this one than the original oh, but great, I, I, I call it this the slasher movie aspect
2: Yeah, but even when the kids were picked off, even though, yes, that is the premise, it wasn't done either in the book or the original in a way that felt degrading. But in this film, it felt like each child was physically and mentally abused and humiliated in the way that they were picked off. It was deliberate to that extent, which felt... I don't know, it didn't sit right with me.
1: By this weird Michael Jackson figure.
2: (laughs) Oh, God.
3: Weird movie, for sure.
0: I
1: I just miss... I just didn't like the original. I miss... Uh, Wilder's characterization of Roy Down the Riviera River. The suspense is terrible. I hope it will last line. The famous meme that's come from Wilder's performance of him looking condescendingly at someone. There's Good a day sir. Caught on.
2: Oh, tell me more.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that th- th- thanks Verot. Um, <laughs>
0: so that, right, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: That, 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 yeah. That's exactly it. And also the no stop No,
3: don't go. Please don't leave or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also practical effects. The the glass elevator coming out, it wasn't entirely practical effects, but it didn't rely on such. Look, to be fair, there's a lot of CG in here, but there's
3: also a lot of miniatures and really good sets and production design elements. Yeah, I agree. It's not not just like the The
1: chocolate river looks fake. You can make a real chocolate river, guys. Come on. I agree. The chocolate river and the
2: the wild Rapids ride
3: is pretty fake cg looking yeah yeah
2: but but i I get it and i think this is we got to acknowledge at this point in time we're also transitioning in how the movie production business production design business is moving towards more mechanical aspects and burton was clearly struggling because he's he's more he's an old-school guy he's an old-fashioned old-school guy with hand drawing and you know that loves old-fashioned
3: he he comes from the world of animation um and he loves old-school special effects. That's his bread and butter.
2: So, I mean, and you can see that. And you can see in subsequent Burton films that it, Corpse Bride being a distinct, you know, I think, uh, it, disparate example in that sense, It doesn't bitch bucks the trend, but in every other film, Burton film, which relies a lot on production design that comes afterwards, it does feel a lot less lively, even though it's on a bigger scale than a lot of his earlier films it lacks the vigor and liveliness of his imaginative world building.
1: Um, to, I, I think the main problem with this was he tr- with the camera work more than this, the, produ- the production and the scenery a la Edward Scissorhands, he tried to create a sense of grandeur and it just didn't work because it made the people seem, especially in the larger rooms he tried to create, so irrelevant compared to the people sitting on the, standing on the street in Edward Scissorhands. Who were so well constituted and looked great in comparison to their environment, whereas here they look like they're very much out of place. Um, finally, for me, on the matter of depth, he was good in, as I mentioned earlier, in Edward Scissorhands because it required a slightly absurdity that was going on. It required an emotional performance to anchor it, like Wilder had, like most leads in any dial adaptation have, and here he's just. I'm weird, and he doubles down with it with the Mad Hatter. I'm so quirky. I'm weird, I'm creepy, I'm Willy Wonka. Of course I'm playing Willy Wonka. Can't wait to see me, Johnny Depp, playing Willy Wonka. Come give me money.
3: After Pirates of the Caribbean, he entered into a period where he coasted. on. I'm so quirky. And this film it really epitomizes the entry into that era of Depp.
1: Which he hasn't left. He's still just not putting in a lot of effort and is laissez-faire with regards to his performance, whether it be Grindelwald or Murder on the Orient Express. He was I'm bad sure. in um, in Harry Potter
3: and the Fantastic Whatevers. And also, yeah, we and Murder in the Colin Orient Express was bad.
2: I mean, I the problem, firstly, I, I, don't, I don't know why we're having the Fantastic Beast movies because they're completely irrelevant and they're just bad in general. But anyway.
3: Money, money, money. money.
2: So that was. But they the didn't Factory. make any. They didn't make any money, did they? Like they. Well, they did, they they did, did it did.
3: first, um, but now no
0: one.
3: I think this seri- I don't think we're ever going to see the third film. I think um, there was meant to. I, it, they were meant to come out every two years, and there were, were going to be five of them. They delayed uh, the third one because there was such a poor reception to the second Fantastic Beast. So the idea is okay. At we'll we'll spend more time. Yeah, we'll spend more time to cook up the script this time around instead of doing it strictly based on the, this production schedule they must be out every two years but now that COVID-19 means that the delay that's been made is going to be even longer um, and there's no goodwill I think they're just going to cut at their losses and we're never going to see the conclusion of that series
2: yeah that's, that's sad because you know there was potential in there because they were trying to tell a proper story but yeah.
1: I, I didn't really rate the first one very highly. The reviews are so terrible. I couldn't be bothered. Um, They wasted Eddie Redmayne, a very talented actor, including a number of the other stars in that. I have the Harry Potter books, which I thoroughly like. I If I want the Harry Potter world, I'm just going to revisit them. Um, So I have that, and I don't need Fantastic Beasts, nor any of the other movies. That's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Corpse Bride is the next one an animation. He returns to animation. This is one of his better ones, and I know we talked about Big Fish. Definitely well, one you know, of the best... Burton films I really like this movie it is about a corpse the titular corpse bride and the underworld which she and a Tim Burton-esque animation who drops into it which is also a template for him in many other films and habits <laughs> and the uh, relationships between the various figures I watched this when it came out I've seen clips of I actually I haven't watched it properly in full since it came out it's a long time. That's 15 years. It's a long time. I need to revisit. I should have revisited for this. I really, I don't know too much to say. I just, I really enjoyed it. It's a great, yeah, it's it, great musical it,
2: scenes. It is, Anna. it is. Like, well, no, sorry, Chris, you were saying? No, no, I'll, I'll I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just funny how Burton is taking, you know, the undead or the dead, essentially, and they are the most lively people. This is such a Burton idea. Take it's such a Tibetan and, film. <laughs> and and make them transform them into the most liveliest people with skeleton with, you know. dancing yeah yeah but also the fact that they have unfulfilled desires which is true like if you're, you're dead and you have passed on there are mm. things that you want to fulfill that you never got a chance to fulfill it's an idea that actually like you know has legs if you think about it in terms of like unlike a lot of the characters in this movie hmm. <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. I <laughs> like that. But anyway, uh, I mean,
3: it's it's a very short film as being stop motion leads it to because it takes so long to create a minute of stop motion animation. But it's uh, you know that that means that there's a, a certain level of depth that's going to be lacking. So, but it's always propulsive with the narrative, um, you know, by necessity probably, and it gives you enough with the characters to connect with them. I think it's a really lovely film. I really like how um, it. In some ways, it has a kind of classic rom-com concept where there's the the person that the Johnny Depp character Victor is going to be married to, and then there's the romantic rival. But unlike a lot of rom-coms, it doesn't cheap out by trying to make one of the characters unlikable, and so there's an actual tension. Because you actually, yeah,
2: they're both proper. They're suitors. both, they're both,
3: yeah, they're both proper suitors who are really sympathetic. So there's yeah. actually tension and desire to see how this is going to pan out, and
2: in, in a good way. It's named Corpse Bride, so it is eventually the bride who makes a decision. It's her choice and it's her agency. That's true, yeah. So um,
3: and it allows it. It's bittersweet. It allows itself to be bittersweet in a genuine way, which is very rare for children's films. I think Tim Burton actually has a respect for children in the way that he makes his kids films that a lot of directors don't show um and i think burton,
2: uh, burton gets kids in a way a lot of directors even
3: yeah even charlie and the chocolate factory though i don't think it, it works that well i think has a lot of respect for know, children's intelligence compared to a lot of
2: yeah i mean big
3: children's movies
2: in fact i think the bobs were mostly in charlie and the chocolate factory mostly directed at the parents
3: you know, yeah they that's true to be it's,
2: something it's, something it's different extent. than what they actually want to be so it's um, actually, yeah
3: but, yeah, I, I love how this is allowed to have layers of depth. Um, I love how much fun Burton is having visualizing this world of the undead, um, and I think the caricatures of the upper class figures in here actually work with it like the tone is just right, so it doesn't feel like oh, these characters are too evil. Yeah. Um, I mean I, I go with it here yeah.
2: I mean, what you were saying, Chris, about basically? and the the script being short, I think Mm -hmm. it works in the film's favor because, as we mentioned, Burton is really good at visual world building, but sometimes he lacks in terms of... Yeah, it it plays to his strengths. He gets repetitive after a while in the script. But -hmm. because here there's only as much material that you can play with, he's Mm -hmm. able to tell the story in almost the right amount of time. Yeah. So if Um, if it was a longer film, I think it would have got repetitive again so i think it's allowed that depth and it's got the resolution quite neat in the time frame that it has
3: yeah i'm going to say this is better than most pixar films oh um, way better it has, has a lot of, a lot more yeah I'd agree with that um dimensionality and i think genuine soul to it
2: yeah but it's you know
3: it's not it's not always it has a little bit of like the hyperactive kind of yeah. child, anime american animation style but like but it's subdued enough it's not constantly um trying to frazzle your brain um, with flashing things. It lets the story play out. Um, it, there's a, I think we see in the, uh, some of the best Burton films, there's a simplicity to the storytelling that's really endearing. Um, and this he's, film epitomizes he's, it really
0: well.
2: He's a, he's a moral fable storyteller. I mean, yeah. he doesn't actually need to adapt actual fables, which is, you know, we'll get to the point when he gets to adapting real fables, it almost gets too much because most of his other films anyway are fables to a large extent. Yeah. like actual fables like Alice in Wonderland and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. It almost compounds the complexity, which makes them, like, there's too much happening. Mm-hmm. Burton works best when it's actually just one thing propulsing the narrative. And the best thing about Corpse Bride, actually, from a larger perspective, like you're talking about it being more complex than a lot of Pixar films, mm-hmm. is that this film, I mean, it's talking about death yeah. and you know, the undead and basically how scary death is for kids. And really talking about death in a manner where kids can understand it and accept it and working out a resolution where they can come to terms with it and move on and really Mm -hmm. maybe it up with this factor of like, you know, leave the ones behind and really, you know, they're transitioning into it. Yeah. There's this stuff very much. It's very much about like accepting death. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, this is, you know, it's fascinating. I was able to do that and yet not, Philosophize.
3: No, and, and yeah, not hammer you over the head with it, which is what most children's I'm going to yeah. teach you a lesson type films. So,
2: and yeah, it's, it's weird, like, you know, talking oh, about that to such a morbid, morose and scary, macabre topic and having that talk with your parents about, oh, you know, you've lost a pet or you lost mm. someone close to you, but you can just play them Corpse Bride and it's almost doing the same thing. In a lot more fun way. This is a fun film. Yeah. Which is one thing I think Burton doesn't get enough credit for. He's able to make macabre, like lonely and just weird things relatable. Yeah. And just, you know, they seem like a. No, really so that's one of see. his
3: great strengths, I would say, actually.
2: Yeah. So that
1: is Corpse Bride. And the next film he made is. Also a musical. Uh, well, yes, yes. I had the great pleasure of yeah. seeing a run of this on Fleet Street on the West End. And then, and it is Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, like Sleepy Hollow, based on one of the great urban legends. It is about a barber played not not Edward Scissorhands, uh, played by. It's a little weird seeing this in this uh, seeing that that analogy between the two. Played by Johnny Depp, who is wrongly imprisoned, escapes, and comes back to London after sixteen years as he sings and repeatedly reminds us to wreak vengeance on he who wrongly sent him away and to his, un- to his understanding had uh, his mind set on his then-wife and infant child. It also stars Alan Rickman, a film, an actor we've actually never spoken about on this show, who's great. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. he great I'm in honest. this, and he's always, he was always great, yeah.
2: He was so, always great, I mean, yeah. I, uh, we, should, we should fight about love, actually, one day, Glenn. Do we... Oh.
1: Oh, so we need to talk about love. actually. It's it's just fine. It's okay, just, then the we Alan definitely have to had fight better about movies. It.
2: Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool.
1: So, <laughs> this I rewatched. Joel Schumacher's Fence for the Opera this weekend, and it reminded me very much of this film, an adaptation of a very popular musical where the performers weren't nearly as good as those on the West End or generally in the theatre. However the direction and production design and being making it a film film made lent it a sense of realism and eeriness, which was lacking from a lot of the productions. This is a
3: very CG reliant version of Sweeney Todd following on from Charlie and the chocolate factory, right? There's a lot of big city fly throughs and like the um, by the sea sequence is all very, very fake digital looking. Um, but there's also some great sets and real production design yeah. here. But I'm, I'm confused as to why he decided to go so strongly with CG. I think a lot of, once directors opened that doorway, when um, you see it with a lot of filmmakers who spent ages working with practical effects, it's just, oh, all those limitations are gone and they go a little bit mad with the power. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that it's unnecessary in the context yeah. of this film to have these huge city
2: fly-throughs, which are a bit of a cliche of our CGI era. But um, talking talking about the casto and and the the musical ability, this actually as a musical surprised me in terms of the songs were actually good and even Johnny Depp is surprisingly competent singer, which I I, he's def- he
1: definitely way better than anyone in Lim 2012. twenty uh, yeah. well, twenty. That, that's a very low bar for Carossa <laughs> uh, Javert, but he's not good in this. sweetie Todd has most of the, of the main lines. You need a mezzo soprano who's quite good and his rendition of and she was my wife and she was beautiful it's really bad he can't hit any notes it's mostly henry higgins song speech and bad henry higgins song speech and it's not just having a seated on the west end the most of the main performers in this film are not professional singers but burton lets yeah. them sing lets him do the thing because obviously he's very fond of them and they are very good actors but henna well, bonocata is, yeah. is not bad not ideal henna Carter is not bad she not, it's but not Broadway she's or West End level yeah, singing, but, but it's
2: pretty good. But it's weird because... I, don't consider, consider it to I usually, don't consider
1: the actors to be generally passable yeah. from a musical perspective in this. Phantom, yeah. I give a lot more credit, even though the film does not get a lot of credit. This is, this is worse in that respect.
2: Yeah, this, this kind of felt... Uh, have you seen Count of Monte Cristo? Which one? Or just, you know, just are you familiar with the story though? Right? I've
1: read the book and I've seen the yeah, yeah. A few of the annotations. I've seen the 2002 one with uh Jesus Christ, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I'm <Huh>? very
1: James <laughs> Caviezel, <Confusal>, guys. <laughs> obviously, that Jesus is not the uh, I know. I know.
2: but because this reminds me of that story, essentially, right? It's 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 that, but it's Tim Burton's take on the classic story of Canterbury Christos, eventually. It's what I feel it, to a lot of extent,
1: but it's, it's more than being Tim's take. This works because. The lore of Sweeney Todd is so well known in London and even around the world a bit, and he's drawing on that. So there's an eeriness to the story which Sleepy Hollow had and which his best ones have. And that was good. It also had the hilarious shaping scenes which weren't helped by the casting Sacha Baron Cohen, I don't think. He was a little bit over the top for this. Sacha Baron Cohen is super over the top, but
3: it's I thought it was funny, especially because, you know, we have the reveal that Pirelli is, is an act, so the fact that it's over the top is fine. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I was fine with that. It's so brutal, right? Like, oh, yeah. we, we you know, being a, a film, you can have some incredible throat slashing special effects, but um, what struck me, I hadn't seen this since it came out in the theaters, watching it again, it struck me how every single time he slashes the throat and pushes people down the chair, every single time. We have to get the cut to the head crashing against the hard floor below when they drop down. Just boom. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the brutality is really
2: underlying. Yeah, but but he also kind of that plays with the musical elements as well. Like it's perfectly timed. But like yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then boom, doosh, that's Actual. the big, Like no,
1: I'm you know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to diverge. It's it's funny and it, the musical cues are great. But and maybe I was spelt because I saw it on the West End. But the cues, the equivalent cues, and them dropping. A much better handled on stage, and what was lacking in the film, most by consequence of being a film, was the setup you could have in what is a relatively static to the environment. The hilarious visual humor of Sweeney Todd throwing everyone in the oven—it was great in right. the stage environment, and you can't recreate it in film. But in, in time, film, it's, it's just kind of not nearly as good, and it didn't work, especially when his last use of the oven towards—it's not—it's not, it it's not it. funny in the film. Was that funny on stage? It was hilarious, and intendedly okay. so. Yeah. On, on, in a, in a movie,
3: right? In the film, it's actually quite dark, and like the film, like the film is coming to this tragic, somber kind of conclusion. <laughs> um, But
2: but even then, I think I don't know whether that's just Burton, where he sees a lot of the macabre and even funny situations, and he's able to and vice versa. Change the turn, yeah. It's just yeah. It's tonally just a bit different, I guess.
3: Um, I think. I think it's, I mean, it's engaging and it is, as you say, funny, but I feel like it's a little bit too studied. Like I don't am really am get caught up in this emotionally.
2: Yeah. I, like it's the same problem that I have with Sleepy Hollow as well. Right. I feel like whenever Burton is utilizing the, you know, the, the custom and the law and like when he's relying on existing material, which he has to closely follow to retell a tale, it constricts him, to tell the really emotional story, because I think the best Burton films are the ones where he can be freewheeling and the real emotional core comes out. When he's a bit he's, of a loose storyteller, yeah, it's, it's, it's a loose canon kind of a thing. When he Even follow- like
3: just talking about Corpse Bride, that's like that's a film that is quite loose with the storytelling.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I,
1: I don't, I don't think we can blame Burton in this regard. I think it comes actually down to Depp. I never bought Depp as the. Barber, who was sent, poor, Barber who was sent away for 16 years and then came back harried, having lost everything. It requires, as Robert said earlier, an Edmond Dantes type perform, perform, uh, performance. Caviezel did it very well. Having retu- we saw him after 13 years in the Chateau d'If, um, most adaptations of uh, Kind of Monte Cristo Manager quite well. Here it's just I'm Depp. I've just come out of the makeup chair. I look pretty good, and now I'm come back to England with most of my swagger still in tow. I don't put it on burden, I put it more on the main performer here.
2: But uh, i think this was after Pirates, right? Yes. This oh, yeah. Was. Pirates
3: uh, was two thousand and three.
2: He's clearly uh, doing a rendition Pirates. of like Jack Sparrow. He's, he
3: couldn't like, stop doing Jack Sparrow since Pirates, and especially since the Pirates sequels.
2: It's it's so obvious, especially he's with doing, the, kind of the swagger and the kind of like, you know, I've got everything under control savvy, he, Yeah. Right? In the he's wink doing of the camera everything is winky, winky jack
3: sparrow variations in alice in wonderland and Dark shadows as well oh, which we'll it's, get into it's just next yeah time. it's yeah wow.
2: it's i don't know that's the biggest curse i guess for Johnny Depp it's like yes you know it gave him the biggest hit of his career but i guess as an actor it was the biggest curse for him because it just stopped
1: the biggest hit wait sorry beardan gave depp the biggest hit of his career
2: pirate spires well i guess in some sense yeah the pirate films have been but it's the, not successful financially for him right
1: Oh, yeah yeah. They, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is Sweeney Todd, the Mbaba Fleet. Street. Street. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was mimicking the melody. Yes, uh, it's, it's, yeah, uh, the musical is much better than the film, in my view. I'm sure uh, everyone remembers that, everyone. Yeah, you it's a very it. popular musical. It's staged a lot. <laughs> okay. The next film, which is also based on a very popular story, is Alice in Wonderland, which, believe it or not, at one point was the ninth most successful film in the history of the world. The 3D Um, craze was at
3: its peak, and this film followed hot on the heels of Avatar as the next IMAX
1: 3D release. It stars Mm -hmm. a then very unknown Mia Wasikowska from Australia, and it is an adaptation of- Not the film,
3: Australia. The continent,
1: Australia. Very important distinction for those playing at home. (laughs) <laughs> and it is based on the lewis carroll novel but it is not the lewis carroll novel itself she comes back to wonderland 10 years after the it's like a and-
3: return to oz type version of alice in wonderland
1: yeah i reread the book this weekend instead I- of
3: watching the film
1: yeah yeah i did of course because <laughs> the book is a lot better than the movie and it's it as much much better use of time i don't like this film at all it's an, it's the perfect example of death being weird for weird's sake, but not playing into the great lore of Lewis Carroll and the meanings and the machinations behind this brilliant mathematician and what he wrote into this children's narrative. The animation, it seems to be out of scale at times, again, to be quirky. There's no reason to have one person's head smaller than another. There's weird odds and ends that Burton adds in that weren't in the original novel just so he can be quirky but have no actual meaning. He... he lacks the, um, he, he, the line between what is interesting because it is has a built-in understanding of the material is gone. And it's just, oh, this is quirky. Let's just throw this at you and you'll love it because this is Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. And you know Lewis Carroll. It's a known entity. You saw the Disney movie, so you're going to like this and pay us money. Yeah. And we did, but we probably shouldn't because it wasn't that good.
2: I mean, look, the problem is, Burton actually doesn't need quirky material to play with. In fact, I think that goes to his detriment. Uh, When Burton is best, he actually takes, it's his own world building that that is quirky, that he makes relatable. When the material itself is quirky, it just becomes too much because he's adding his own twist to something that's already quirky. Like, you know, it's already zany and he can't do a straight out, sticking to the script kind of thing. He has to add something of his own and adding something for its sake just becomes unnecessary. So he doesn't really have a different take on Alice in Wonderland.
3: I agree with um, Glenn that this one's basically insufferable with some of the antics of Johnny Depp and the, yeah. the grotesque kind of characters. It's just, it's just too much. And it, the, it's uh, really represents Burton going to basically completely digital toolbox. Um, that it's really lacks the grounding that his worlds have before when they use real, beautiful production design. Um, this thing just feels so slickly fake. Um, the Mad Hatter performance is so annoying.
1: Oh, yeah, to, to be clear, oh, God, this sad. should have been, sad. <laughs> Disney proved it. This is fine and would have been better in Burton's in, hands too, as an animation. He's perfectly competent with animation. You should have just done it. brought your voice actors in. Dep could have been better because here it's just, oh, he's barely, he's like a Jack Sparrow. He's barely recognizable. He's got a little makeup. And he's being quirky, therefore, you're going to enjoy this film too. Look at this other movie you have to offer that's kind of like that other movie you like. Yeah. And it's coasting on seven, up to that point, five other successful, if not always good, Johnny Depp, Tim Burnham turns. Like, they're together. Yeah. You're going to love it. Come. Yeah.
2: I mean, the only good thing in this movie is the, is the line that Helen Bottom Carter, as Queen of Hearts, says, and the way she says it, off with the heads with that really shrill tone. And that Alan Rickman is Rick the fly
0: caterpillar.
2: Funny gag that is in the film is that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's not even as bad the Jabberwocky the sequences. Yeah, wait. Oh really? I never oh, saw it. Right. Is truly a sequel? It's Tim British, not Tim Burton. By, by Tim, it's truly. Horrible. Yeah, there's a sequel. It was like Alice it's,
3: through the Looking Glass or something. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know this? No. It time It was huge financial failure for Disney. A lo- 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 lot of time oh, jokes. Wow. Uh, I sorted uh, the Ritz ones. It was bad.
2: Huh. <laughs> Well, it was timely, I guess.
3: No, it wasn't. It no. came out like 2017, right? Yeah, several years uh,
1: after. It's like, oh, we we, we cashed in. We're going to cash in again on this.
2: But wait, the original, like, this Tim Burton version didn't make a lot of money, did it?
1: No, it made, like, a lot.
3: But it, We were saying it was, like, the sixth biggest film of all time on oh, I mean, it for a while. I, I thought, it made Glenn, like, I over a billion like, dollars. You know,
2: the original Alice in Wonderland or something. Oh,
3: okay. No, no, no this, this was huge, this Alice in Wonderland. Ah, oh, this film. was a like commercial said, like, success? That's what I was talking okay. about with the regard to Avatar. Like, this movie, I think, was such a success because partly Tim Burton and um, Alice in Wonderland is the thing that a lot of, you know, that sells itself. But yeah. partly... It's like, what if Tim Burton made Alice in Wonderland? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other big equation was that it was a 3D spectacle on IMAX, the first film to get IMAX screens and just get a lot of 3D screens after Avatar. There was a big demand for 3D. Oh the, th- the new 3D craze was the Yeah. It was, it was things like this in Clash of the Titans. <laughs> you know, like.
1: Oh. Clash so of the- bad. Yeah. Uh, it was made in CGI, it's in 3D, po- in post. It wasn't filmed in that way, which is why it looks. Yeah, this so film was cool. not filmed.
3: Oh, this film was not filmed in 3D.
1: Yeah. and well, um, Avatar weird. did it. Let's make more money. So, um, yeah. Been making money with Disney. Uh, that was 2000. It was it's uh, Alice in Wonderland. I-
2: I'm going to feel sad now because we're coming to like, this is just going to get worse now.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, Dark Shadows. God. Okay. All right. The worst one. Worst collaboration between the
3: two. We had a break and I watched Dark Shadows. I thought it was pretty decent. I strongly disagree with Glenn saying it's the worst... Uh, Burton film. It's much better than Alice in Wonderland. Oh yeah, I would say it's better than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, also, since I'm the person who's most recently watched this film, I can co- do a correction from earlier in the show. Helena Bonham Carter is in Dark Shadows. <laughs> she, but she doesn't resemble Helena Bonham Carter in Sweeney Todd or a lot of other Burton films. She resembles Helena Bonham Carter in Alice in Wonderland. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So I'm so impressed. I still so much
3: yeah, I've forgotten. She's she the... in the film. All right. I don't look, I I will go on as far as saying I don't get why everyone hates this film. But I, I'd like to hear from Glenn and then I can do my best to defend it.
2: All right. I'm gonna I, get, so, I have to rewatch this now. Thank I'm you gonna Chris. say the one <laughs> thing I
1: liked about this movie, and that was Eva Green, who was genuinely funny. She and was great. Larger than life, cartoonish, her maniacal smile, like she was some um Grinch type villain straight out of a cartoon, pure gold. She was wonderful. Okay,
2: Eva, Green, Eva, Eva Green is is now the new Burton muse, right because she was also seems in, that way
1: Miss Peregrine
3: something yeah peculiar
2: the, the children. Per, yeah, peculiar children she's basically the new Helena Bonham Carter replacement maybe in terms of how he's looking at his uh, women
3: so um uh, this woman. is based
1: this is based oh, no. on a, a not very popular soap opera in the 70s so popular enough to go for a thousand episodes 1968 to 1971. Right. When I say but, um, but popular, cult. I mean one that doesn't have so large following. So there's an inbuilt fan base. But moreover, it's the film, I think to a great extent, is relying on a fidelity to the source material, which none of, most people watching in 2011 and now won't really know. It's the scissor hand shtick here. Scissorhand is obviously a much better film here, where someone very different comes up in a, environment where they're all the straight man and this is the weird fish out of water but again Depp was playing it appropriately seriously in that here he's just again oh I look you remember me from Jazz Jack, Jack Sparrow here's me in another movie here I'm being quirky here come watch me and there was and the thing is everyone it's like a Hobson Shaw thing everyone is winking at the camera in this Unlike in Edward Scissorhands, Hands, even the family, even all this Okay point Michelle Pfeiffer, no one takes this seriously. And that is a problem. Okay, I, I actually disagree. I think Depp
3: um, is the this is his best post Jack Sparrow role in my opinion. Yeah, and I I Barnabas I think this Collins, was right?
2: Different, yeah. This was Different enough. This was actually not him playing Jack Sparrow.
3: I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, he's still got that kind of English accent. Am I English? Am I American? But fortunately, that's baked into the backstory of the character, who says he was born in Liverpool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I liked that in terms of the comedy. This film never feels like it's really trying too hard. So when there are gags that aren't that um, that great, it's fine. We just sort of gently glide over them. And I think the film coasts by on the absurdity of the fish out of water premise. And I mean this actually is a positive thing. I mean, I mean just, that it's just, a just,
2: like, just, it's, yeah. What were you saying, Peran? Just the absurdity that you have Johnny Depp's character, Barnabas Collins, who's running away from someone as attractive as Eva Green.
0: Yeah, the whole,
1: weird. Also, <laughs> so that's the biggest so plot hole here. That is actually it all fits.
0: Fa- <laughs> but he, but
3: even songs, he, even one. though, but he No, but it's not a plot hole no, it's not because he, yeah, he, he, he can't. He can't resist her, even though she uh, doomed him to centuries <laughs> in a tomb. Um, exactly. But yeah, I like that. It sort of. I like the tone the tone of this is very watchable um for me it because it sort of just floats by on the absurdity and um it's kind of an easy watchability tone which i think is intentional because of the it mirrors the feeling of a soap opera um as do the plot dynamics where it's all oh, yeah. kind of Backstabbing about is companies, and elevated
2: to long a lost, yeah, yeah, everything, yeah, like melodrama Spanish, and Spanish family problems, secrets yeah. and
3: and long harbored resentments. Um, I but I think I think it does justice to the source material without being familiar to with it. Um, in that this isn't an all-out parody pastiche. It feels like a somewhat sincere attempt to make a soap-like entertainment. I think Depp's really funny with the um. The fish out of water stuff here because I, even though, yeah, he's super over the top, he's not super over the top if you compare it to something like Alice in Wonderland or Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. If within this yeah, pretty it's, it's, over the top it's movie, it's restrained enough yeah. that um, sometimes, especially when it comes to the sight gags, like for example, housekeeper opening a closet and he's sleeping like with the vampire thing up on a shelf, he makes those gags work. It's, it's pitched at just the
2: right level for that.
1: All right. In terms of, the sincerity of it, I th- it would be more in. Inco- I can't
2: believe we're defending this movie. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like it if it had been the case, like in Edward Scissorhands, where the individual characters were mu- and the families and the people surrounding the main character were much more fleshed out. Here, agree. They are pretty pushed forward. Michelle Fiverr is playing a one-dimensional character. Slow. So is um, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Um, on I agree. The, the matter of the gags, they are <sighs> okay. In Edward Scissorhands, the visual gags were inventive and novel and unique because no one had ever made a film before with guys with scissors for hands. These aren't as good as the Edward Scissorhands. Oh, the Edward Scissorhands, I agree. It's, it's, it's a different and he's like, yeah. oh my God, there is it's people in the middle beautiful. of this TV. Show yourself miniature people. That's I agree, that's a dumb gag. Been done The things in this film we've seen, it's wrote unlike his other more creative earlier stuff you're not like wrong
3: you're not wrong um i just think a lot of it, it they're, they're executed well enough that i was amused enough i don't think this is a great film but i think it definitely needs defenders because a lot of people say including glenn say that it's just outright awful and i like i said i found it entertaining yeah.
0: and, and it just runs off watchable. the rails at
1: the end bad third get- act.
3: yes yes the, the ending is bad i totally agree with you and i think it betrays what the movie is a, a more low-key family-oriented soap opera kind of wrap-up would have been good but there's the need for the big spectacle CGI blowout um, which is totally against what I think works in in this film. I I think this is actually definitely one I think this is one of the better late. I I guess
2: if you're looking at Burton in terms of two specific career arcs the you know pre-2000 and then post-2000s uh i wouldn't i wouldn't like die on a hill if somebody were to say dark shadow is one of the better ones and i post-2000s. think it's one of the better ones in the post because what else is there yeah. dumbo That's well, like, well, very the one, go with we're me and all my friends and and we've got Alice in wonderland like you know everything well, else is shit. we
3: had we had also this year Frank and Weenie and then after then yeah, um,
1: we left Frank frankenweenie out hey guys
3: uh so I haven't seen Frankenweenie, but if it's good, which I believe you think it is, then um, I'll have to watch it and maybe I'll quickly drop my thoughts next week, but um, because we've watched most of the other Burton films for this episode or otherwise. But um, if it's good, then I think that you could say this is another resurgent trio of good Burton films. In my opinion, Dark Shadows is probably the least of them, but still not terrible.
1: I think it's better than not terrible. I think it's decent to good. All I have to really say about Frank and is that I liked it. And if I'd never seen another Tim Burton film and more of a, several other Tim Burton films, I would have liked it a lot more. It's not just the narrative. It's not just the male identity figure who he usually identifies with. It's the animation and story and style and clearly sketches that he is very indebted to and very close to that he developed very early in his career, which he is still so heavily working off. And it's obvious, even for casual Burton fans. I like it. I've just seen it before multiple times. Right. Um, one more thing on Dark Shadows. I know we say it
3: for all of these Burton films, production design. It's great. Production design, uh, costumes, everything's fantastic. And
2: consistent. I guess like he, he's a great production designer. He's yeah. He, he has, knows. And each character, even though it's quirky, it's quirky in a different way. Well,
3: he comes from the world of animation, where as I said earlier, where you um, he. Basically designed everything with his early shorts, so he has that that level of imagination that he brings with him to feature filmmaking, where he gets hands on working with the production designer and oh, Colleen Atwood, his longtime costume designer, yeah. to get a very precise vision. I mean, just um, across.
2: just for that, actually. I mean, I'd love to assist Tim Burton on a film because I guess it'd be nice. His to ability pick His ability to no, just his ability to translate his vision that he's got in his head and how it translates into production design and just, you know, on the set elements. He's is, a really good, he's a good artist. He's been able to yeah.
3: provide really good sketches to his heads of departments.
2: Yeah, and you know, and he's actually, you know, as you grow older, I guess you lose imagination, but he's one of the few whose imagination is just, you know, pretty fertile. I, I,
1: I wish we could comment further because we actually haven't seen Dumbo and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children these last two films.
0: No, but this, It is on display
1: we can, we can't do that. In, it is on display in Big Eyes a film from 24 the last one we're discussing tonight. I really liked it. It's starring Christoph Waltz and Amy Adams. It is based on the true story. It's his most mooted film production wise. And it's one that's most slavish to any true story. Uh, It is about a artist played by Amy Adams, whose work is appropriated by a husband and sold off as his own. He forces her uh, to continue painting for him and for him to sell his works. And, she also has a small child who she uh, is very dedicated to supporting and supports throughout the film. And it's about her struggle with her identity as an artist and being recognised for her work. You can see in this Burton's appreciation of the artist, all the, it's called Big Eyes because all the artists' works' subjects have larger eyes. Which and is very the-
3: reminiscent of Burton's own sketches.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very corpse right. Yeah, yeah, or Frank book, and Weenie, or his book, early book, animated stuff, or the, the Melancholy Death of Oyster yeah.
3: Boy book. Um, you, you can see that he's indebted to Margaret Keane. Sorry, what,
1: what was her surname after uh, she separated? Her last um, Margaret Keane, yes. But Keane, she, did she lose that last name? Um, I'm just, the, the character's credited as Keane, so that's what I'm going to go, I, can, okay. so I don't I don't know the details now, artist in front of me, excuse me. I guess um, when all the, those artworks are signed Keane, there'd be a reason to keep the name. <laughs> Now, what I this film, there's nothing... If okay, Burton does a fine job, most directors would have done a fine job. But well, that's, that's not necessarily true. A lot of directors could just as well have adapted this and it could have had the same effect. There's very little in this which makes it a Tim Burden film. There isn't, there isn't much that Tim Burton adds to us This by virtue of being directed. There are a few exceptions. They're my favourite bits in the movie. Otherwise, it's his most regular film.
3: It's it's pretty straightforward, but I actually disagree that um, he doesn't bring much to it. It's not so strongly recognizably a Tim Burton film in terms of having all of these trademarks that we associate with Tim Burton. Um, It does have, you know, this affectation for a character. Sorry, affection for a character who is um, isolated and misunderstood. Oh, yeah. but um you know there's le- even though she's very much the the hook of the film of the main character and the emotional center of it there's I feel less of a connection with her than you might with some of the other Burton outcasts but the reason why I say that Burton does that in fact I think bring a lot to this as a director is to me it feels like he was aware that it's, it seems like less of a Tim Burton film um, and as a result of it, has really invested himself into the visual aspects of the direction. There are a lot of images in this that are really layered with meaning. I, I think the, the positioning of the camera and the composition and the blocking is extremely deliberate in this, probably the most deliberate I've seen in a Burton film since his, since, since Edward, Edward Scissorhands, yeah. or, or um, Maybe Edward. Edward. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Or Edward, I would say perhaps the images in this are more layered uh, than in that. I just find there's a lot of points in this film where you could pause it, and the lighting and the positioning tells a story.
2: Actually, um, actually, you're right. I mean, we don't give Burton enough credit as a director. Director, we always this film, his, yeah. His visual style and everything else, but he's actually a very competent director in terms of framing, and he understands blocking. And staging a scene as hmm. well as anybody, and this and this like-
3: film, I think, is probably the best demonstration for his
1: classical skills as a director. Yeah, I, I think the the sequences where that works to good effect, and whereas it is distinct, are the two where you see that those most characteristic burden coming in. They're two of my favorite scenes of the films. That there are two the two scenes that are that did happen, but are have a large live aspect. One is where a very consequential scene in the local radio station. And another is a courtroom scene, which seems in the, con- even the context of unbelievable, but what happened, transpires actually happened. There's much larger scale framing. There's much greater sense of the space he's working in there. And those were the better ones. The other scene I really liked in this was the, the most fantastical scene where we, as Chris alluded to, get a sense of the imagery, get a stronger sense of the artist herself. And that is the one scene in the film where people in real life begin to emulate aspects of her paintings. I wish that had been more of the film. It was really I actually say scene. I didn't like that? On paper, I think that could
3: have worked, but I, I think this is more of an aspect of um, an issue with the script. I don't think... I think it, it... This is what I was saying earlier about the films written by Scott Alexander and Larry Kraszewski. They often feel a little bit literal and explanatory to me. I think it was in the the context where it appeared overly literal that dropping in suddenly oh she's seeing characters with the big eyes like in her paintings on paper I don't mind that idea and I think it it gives Burton room to play as a director I think the idea of showing that she really sees the world like that is good but just the the point where it comes in the narrative is it's kind of like hammer to nail um, and it, it's worse, like, we've got this so- song with terrible lyrics. I, it sounds, is it Lara, Lana Del Rey? I think it's Lana Del Rey, oh, where no, yeah. they've, they've had to write a song called Big Eyes. And it's, it's like, with your big eyes and your big lies or something like that, while I'm seeing yeah. this vision, and it's just, oh, man. Oh, that was, that was in the I bet trailer that part. was Harvey Weinstein's idea. I bet he said, we have to go for the best original song Oscar uh, Burton you'd better include this in the film and find a way to to slot it in he was the producer on, on this it's such yeah. a Harvey Weinstein yeah. move
2: but also I mean going back to some of the better points about it I guess when the subtler aspects do kick in for example what I love about it is as an audience perspective you are always seeing something as a third person point of view shots so a lot of the scenes are staged from like creaks and doors that yeah. being a perspective and you can only see Amy Adams standing and you can't see the other person like Christoph Waltz's character so you mm. can only see like half the people in he's there. he's very good in
3: this the actors and are very good the, the, Burton has a lot of fun with arranging the characters in relation yes. to the, the,
0: the guide children
3: yeah. you uh, know like who are passing judgment or reinforcing the moral strength of Amy Adams or you know it's uh, the, like there's when, a lot of thought put into when, positioning
2: when Burton things is, within the frame I mean Burton is best when he's somehow able to berate adults because i guess he just sees the world through children's eyes and i guess we have saying it again and again but i think it just bears repeating that he's probably the best adult director the great the greatest
3: man child <laughs> ever to make film <laughs> uh, no, no. no sorry guys that's quentin tarantino <laughs>
2: yeah, but actually actually no, for this one i mean it as a compliment i don't mean that he's like a man child in the sense that he's hasn't taken responsibility. Or no, I
3: don't. I, I, I
2: mean,
1: like that
3: and I'm not. I know. I like crazy. Um, <laughs> but on, in a
2: on way the... that he gets children that and, and he's able to make films, including children and about children and for children, that doesn't seem that they're talking down to them, which is, I think, an incredible thing.
1: I appreciate that too. On, on the matter of it being a studio film, and it is the most visibly studio film of I think any of the ones, most of the ones he's done, Charlie and Chocolate Factory is a bit of an exception for me. There's... This is a small thing, but there's a bit at the end where we get a cameo from the artist. And I appreciate she was in the film. I appreciate this is a sort of device that's used in a lot of films with Wall Street's an example. But it just made it feel, oh, we're watching Tim Burton doing a corporate style by the numbers story. And a lot of this felt like that. Um, there can be good style, stuff to that style of storytelling. Certainly, Christoph Waltz was one of the biggest up-and-comers in Hollywood at this time. Cast this guy, he was great. But it felt like the most traditional, oh, we've seen this type of story before. Why is Tim Burton doing it? I think um, some of the acting is a little bit
3: broad. You just mentioned Christoph Waltz, and that reminded me. Like, um, you buy into his charm and his charisma early on, but I think some of the big explosions of anger are a little bit too big. Yeah. Like like yeah, I think he, he's it it crosses over into cartoon territory as opposed to being genuinely like, like a
2: terrifying inglorious bastards territory. It sort of like goes but into that mode. He was scarier
3: in Inglorious Bastards, despite how yeah. over the top it was.
0: Yeah.
3: Um I do like the super saturated candy colored um, look he gives and some of the big digital I like vistas. The attic. Sorry?
1: I like the attic. Right yeah, yeah. Right, well
3: but yeah when whenever we see exteriors it's in this really candy colored um oversaturated vision of the 50s harking back to something like Ed Wood but it's an interesting comparison point because this is very digital you know it um like the, there's a there's a fakeness to the over the top colors but he's able to go much further than he was able to in the days of Edward in terms of really making something that goes, wow. But, um, this, this looks like something like speed racer at times in terms of just assaulting your eyeballs with a million different colors popping out at
2: you. Wow. That's an interesting comparison.
3: Like some of the shots of the Hawaii or, you know, his San Francisco and it's just wow, larger than life. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see him play around with the digital toolbox. I would say it, the film has an intentional fakeness to it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that it looks really digital, but it's notable.
2: I don't know. I've been I've been wondering like, what would be the next perfect Burton film? And what I'm not sure. Like? Um, like, what what should he do next? Um, I don't know.
3: Hopefully, okay, this, this is my nice segue way of being able to write the last little note I had on big eyes. Hopefully something maybe a little bit less straightforward and a little bit less literal.
1: I would like him to...
3: Going
2: back to animation, maybe?
1: ...move away from some of the imagery he's relied on so heavily. I would like him to do animation. I think he's actually more comfortable in that. Um, I, I, I appreciate he likes to work with certain actors, but they can be, have proven to be just as effective with voice work. And I think he can create the scope of the world. He wants to do better with animation. So I like do something with animation, something that's eerie and something that doesn't look like a lot of the films he's done before.
0: And, and I, I hope have to have... him take
1: his time. It doesn't have to be a rush.
3: And I oh, have
2: no. in, enough confidence that he's able, he has got enough worlds in him left that he can create a different world as well.
3: I think he uh, can. Um, I think he, he just needs to find the right material. And you know what? I... People will turn up for every burden film. Yeah, uh, well, but there's also a hardcore backlash against him, though. I
2: don't think they did. Yeah,
3: Dumbo was a was a flop. I wonder how much longer Burden is going to be given big budgets and big properties. I wonder if if we're seeing the end of that period now, finally, because he's he's sitting at the end of a bunch of flops. Um, You know, I think Alice in Wonderland being so huge probably rejuvenated his career in a big way. But then, you know, since then, Dark Shadows. Sorry. Big Eyes was liked. True, but it's a a lower-budgeted kind of film. And since then, we've had, yeah, Dark Shadows, Frank and Weenie, Mr. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and Dumbo, which is four financial failures in a row. On top of that, Burton is not... It's true that there are still people who his name means a lot to and who will show up to anything he does, but I think the number of people like that is getting lower. Uh, Yeah, so I think especially in this kind of,
2: you know post disney pixar and like avengers kind of world yeah it's people just don't appreciate that kind of detailing in in films that burton brings
1: i I wonder if it's going to be like in my channel the visit where he's just going to be told here's 20 25 million dollars you get one name actor go out and make something um which with low budget you want to have so much cgi right now yeah but I, I think he's going nonsense. to have
3: to go back. I mean, he's shown that he can handle something lower budgeted in this day and age with big eyes. Um, I think he'll have to go back to doing films like that. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe a low budgeted thing for Netflix or something like that could be in his future.
2: So yeah, Helena Bonham Carter. Netflix will give him money. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah,
3: but um, I think he might need to go back to lower budgets, and uh, tr- you know, try and win people back over again, which could be a good thing. Um, you look at something, The Dark Shadows apparently cost $150 million. As much as I was defending that film, I it do not
2: deserve that kind it,
3: of No, there's budget. no way that film needed to cost that much. Should have um, been made
2: around 50. Yeah, yeah 50 trade. would
3: be a good
1: budget, I think. Yeah. You could budget for a lot of these films. Yeah. Less even. Oh.
3: Yeah. Tim yeah, Tim Burton. Hopefully, I don't think he's plummeted as far as people say. I think it's just that he hasn't made um, a string of films that yeah. people love. Um, i like, it, like people, Big Eyes was recently, yeah. we haven't yeah. watched Miss Peregrine and Dumbo, so we can't really comment,
2: but, um, I mean, most I, people forget the amazing run that he had until 2000. Like he was yeah. you know, but pretty since, much on fire. He made yeah. two
1: great films in the 2000s. But
2: what surprises me talking about
3: the 2000s is I think there are as many good films as bad films. And that goes right up until recently. Yeah, he is not a terrible director these days at no. all, despite no. No. having somehow having that reputation.
2: Yeah, because like even then, his concept of visual design and visual spectacle and production design hasn't gone away. He still is yeah, able but, to conjure up worlds. It's just I, that his his grasp scripts and like just the material. Has yeah, it's true. But um, his but, his visual uh, understanding and detailing is still there.
3: Yeah, like. Um, um, uh, a lot of these films, that were, okay, Alice in Wonderland, yes, but are a lot of the films where, that we might say, oh, that's a lesser one at the post 2000 and Planet of the Apes, yes. But outside of those two, are many of these films worse than, say, Mars Attacks?
1: No, I don't think so. No. I, I think I, I, I struggle with that a little because one of my very favorite writers, Tennessee Williams, wrote the same story with slight variations over and over again. Burden does too, but his emphasis is on the visual language. And it's not just that people are more tired of seeing the same, it's literally seeing the same thing over and over again. It's how we consume films has changed a lot. The emphasis is on visual media. A lot of people will just watch something as opposed to listening to something or even giving it the whole attention. So we rely on that more. So there is a greater burden. And if it doesn't adapt, we... We we saw him generate the same sort of material for a long time. People were okay with it, but it's long past the point where I think people would be comfortable seeing anything even remotely akin to the type of stuff. The he's classic Burton stuff.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think he. Like
1: you no one's gonna want to see a Johnny Depp in Burton film right now. I think he's seen
3: as passé now, or will be Actually, very soon. Actually, no. I, I think I think it's already. quite
2: the opposite. Johnny Depp is the exactly the thing to. Uh, no, I'd Tim like to Tim see Bur- them work together again Tim, in a different mode. I'll exactly oh, do wrong. I think it would be great. No, no, Could Tim Burton right. is exactly the director Johnny Depp needs. Mm. I don't think, I'm not sure whether Tim Burton needs Johnny Depp as much as Johnny Depp needs Tim Burton right now.
3: Johnny Depp, um, Depp probably does need a long-time director who gets him yeah, who um, just, to, you know, bring him and, back down.
2: And, and to be honest, he was the only director who can push him and get him to play something like Ed Wood and like different, yeah.
0: oh, different no, kinds of
2: quirky. Yeah, different. Fair kinds and loathing, of quirky. Yeah, it was great um i i think also i I still think i still think there is a tim burton johnny depp hunter s thompson movie that needs to be made which should be made i mean how that has not been made i don't know
3: oh yeah i I agree but also um going into uh what we were discussing earlier about sleepy hollow looking back having discussed all these films um i think sleepy hollow is the one that aesthetically which is such a big part of burton is probably the, the best realized I think that the aesthetic of that film is so... uh, Outside of his animated stuff, that one is just so cohesive and well-designed. I agree. Um, It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Creates a great mood through visuals. I just wish the movie was scarier. Outside of a few tense moments, it's not very scary. Mm -hmm. But
2: that's the thing. I I feel...
3: Burton's never really scary, to be
2: honest. Tim Burton actually makes movies for kids. He just thinks kids are smarter than adults. I think that is the only conceit. He just kind of doesn't play dumb with them. You know, with...
1: It's a bit of a side note with Sleepy Hollow. I remember the last time I watched it, the second time I watched it 10 years ago, and I remember sitting there, not taking my eyes off the screen at all. And now I watch films, you have so many distractions, especially with all of us watching films from home. And that more than most films, it for being an immersive experience because of the world that he built. I wish I had the discipline to watch films more like that, even within a the theater, my best film watcher have been like that. I remember watching Fatal Attraction and having a simple experience. I did not look at my phone, just watched the screen the whole time. It takes and discipline. I think people need to cultivate the not looking at the phone thing.
3: I do that at home. It's like, no, I'm watching the film. I'm not looking at the phone. his uh, attracts something... from
1: burden more than most directors works. Why do you think that is? Because it's so visually oriented? Not just that, but it relies on buying into his world. And we can do that less when we're just dropping in and out of it. If it's an action film set contemporaneously, okay, we look up and we're just looking outside, looking at a seamless order set. You won't get that with Burton. We don't get that. When, and it's not just the, seeing a historical film or a period piece. Sleepy Hollow is of its own style. It's of its mm. own making. And it does it a disservice more than most to withdraw yourself out of it, mm. Without, out of the fairy tale. Like, imagine if Alice just jumped out back into the woods under the tree reading a book for a few minutes and then went back into Wonderland. It wouldn't be the same thing.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I think uh, people should
3: burn down their phone battery before they watch a film so that they have to put the phone away from them on charge. It works I, for me.
2: I, I mean, I, I literally just, I turn it off. I'm not, That's a good idea. Or at least, I don't know. Even when I'm watching my, on my laptop, I turn my phone off. I feel Because I've got into that habit when I'm watching a movie. Like my brain tells me, you're watching a movie now there, right? So like, it's like my hands automatically go to my phone. And it's like, off button, like, you know. I'm doing it, I'll do know it
1: tonight. Yeah. I am watching the last episode of The Stranger on Netflix and I'm just gonna turn my phone off.
0: And, cool. I'm and, that. and
2: I've realized like nothing happens. Like the world doesn't burn down. I don't get any notifications. It's not like I'm that popular or anything, but like, it's just like, <laughs> nothing really happens.
1: <laughs> you see, I, I hate doing that because there've been a couple of times when I've been overseas and I just said, no, no, I'm gonna put my phone away. And both those two times, uh, major Australia orientated events happened. So I just decided, no, right. I, if, if I, I'm, is, I'm not going to do it anymore. If there
2: is lip spill 3.0, I'll tell you about
1: it. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> it, uh, tonight. One of them was a lip spill. One of them was Barry O'Far. One of them was the Grange.
0: Well, How oh, nice. It was. Of course it was.
1: Which was not A lip spill in fairness. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on from politics. Politics, yeah. Uh, Tim Burton, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: great director.
3: I feel like hard. we've, we've wrapped, kind of wrapped it up. Would you agree yeah. with the, some of the assessments early on about his storytelling isn't as good as the visual instincts?
2: Yes and no. I mean, Even Big Eyes, I feel like,
1: was, more, yeah. was better. And Sleepy in terms Hollow of, had better visual instincts than the storytelling. as much so I right. like the storytelling. But
3: yeah, I, I think about Big Eyes because we were saying that's the most traditional, you know, going by on the script. But for me, the visual aspects were more yeah. interesting I, than I, anything else in that film. And that's the one that you would think is the least driven by Burton's visual imagination.
2: I guess over time, I've come to accept that with Tim Burton, I'm not going to want a tightly cohesive script kind of a story. As long mm-hmm. as his emotional center is, is right, I kind of feel like that drives most of my investment in the film. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the best films that he's done, it's got that emotional, like, sort of cohesiveness. The pendulum isn't too far out in the cold or too far, like, you know, completely CGI driven to the characters feel a bit, you know, too wonky or crazy. Mm. As long as he's got that outsider character, like innocent enough and he's sincere enough in that development, I feel that I'm happy with the broad strokes that he brings out because I've come to accept that he's not gonna write like, you know, a three act perfect script, which is a screenplay driven narrative. Even though Ed Wood got a bit close to that, which I felt like was really a great script. As well as... Edward is a
1: really the, great script. Um, Best characters in a Burden film. Cider element. I'm just going through his filmography. It's notable that until until Alice in Wonderland, arguably Corpse Bride, all his films had not simply a male protagonist, but a male protagonist who is very clearly based on, at least in part, on Burton or whom Burden uh, emulates himself. Uh, with... I don't think *Alice in Wonderland* was this really good. I haven't seen *Miss Peregrine's Home*. Um, These later films have mostly had female protagonists. Even *Dark Shadows*
3: obviously has Barnabas. Since I just watched it, obviously that's got Barnabas as the um, mysterious outsider, but it also has the rejected by her parents woman, um, Victoria, his love interest, mm. who you know who has a has a gift that makes her unusual. Um, but yeah, post Alice in Wonderland, going in dark shadows, Big Eyes. Suddenly, you have got a shift to women as the outsider characters. But
1: I feel Big Eyes had the best depiction, simply for I think what you alluded to earlier. He identified broadly, irrespective of gender, with a character who was an outsider, who was a loner, and who wanted to aspire creativity, like cre- creatively, like Edward Scissorhands, and he people who have stick, unusual well. people who have unusual gifts.
3: That, that's I mean, actually singled out. Yeah. Dark Shadows is a good auteurist study Burton film because they even yeah. say you know, your, that your parents would reject you for your gift when Barnabas is, yeah. is wooing this, this woman.
2: Yes. Um, and actually that's, that's an interesting yeah. point. Because even when women, uh, women write not Burton, <laughs> when Burton is using female characters, I think he's one of the few directors who's able to like, make sure that he transports the male owners and the female owners kind of can be interchangeable. Like it's not that it's a, definitely a male gaze, male it, gaze. Commitment. It definitely
3: seems that he that it can be when you get to yeah. the because the, it's still got those, a childlike innocence to it. Because it's not it's eyes. not an
2: adult male gaze looking at a male owner. It's almost like a children's innocence.
3: Gaze. He he's attracted to to um, innocence in corrupt worlds,
2: which is like I don't know. Which is what which is
3: was the subject of the Keen paintings in Big Eyes.
2: No, <laughs> true. He like, yeah. hmm. not that I'm going to get emotional, but like the fact is, yeah. Not that I'm going to get emotional, but like the fact is, like it's yeah. He's he's a very commodity. I, I really wish he rediscovers some of the form because you know
3: his filmmaking is still quite personal, even yeah. when even in some of these big big studio movies and films that haven't yeah, I mean, quite worked been, out. There still is a, always a personal element. Definitely mean um, be to say, okay, films, this is yeah. so Tim Burton. This is what Tim Burton cares about. Yeah, I mean, maybe Planet of the Apes is probably the only one where there's none of that. Alice in Wonderland is very little.
2: Yeah. So yeah, definitely for me, it's just he's been a huge influence growing up. So like, you know, I can't disassociate my adolescence and like teenage years and my Goth phase from Tim Burton. Right. It's it's all it's all there. So, and and not in a bad way. I feel like you know uh, he's done a lot for people who felt excluded in any sense he's, he's, they kind provided, of feel like they are the heroes of their own narrative so i think you know that's mm-hmm. that's, that's a great thing
1: just provided yeah, Halloween costume ideas for he definitely has anyone <laughs> in any other <laughs> co- direction Hollywood yeah. oh my god the amount of corpse brides I've seen the amount of Edward Scissorhands is the amounts of beetle <laughs> Burton did so much to popularize goth aesthetics in yeah. the, into the masses
2: yeah, I mean, you know, weird is is the new cool. It's definitely before sex, You know, brainy is the new sexy. It was weird is the new cool. So you know, it's Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, he did great. He's so, done yeah. great work. We hope he does more. That's Maybe twenty twenty is a decade. It's, it's I don't think I don't think, yeah, I, I think. I don't think.
3: Yeah. I think. I don't think he's done. I think no, his film. I think his recent filmmaking is still good enough that it's not inconceivable he could hit it out of the park again. I don't think he's dropped design. off to be terrible.
2: His actual online. like world building and production design is still there. That hasn't dropped really off. Yeah, well. like, he I'd be keen to that s- trademark and everything.
3: I'd be keen to seek out Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Actually, I've heard a few people. It's mostly got negative reviews, but i heard a few people say it was pretty underrated. Just...
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, give I it just, a shot. Yeah, like I guess this was on the top of the list. Like after like, I hope that, they more
3: but... with Eva Green. Yeah, it was, seems like he's interested in working with her. She's a great yeah. actress. Actually, and next week we're doing Billy Wilder. Yeah. that'll be great it's going to be difficult to narrow down the films we focus on i'm going to try and watch as many billy wilder classics as possible in the next
2: week and so yeah rewatch uh, by so next I'm, Tuesday, well, i might be shifting into my new apartment so oh nice uh, uh, might, might be appropriate mm, mm,
0: <laughs> the apartment
1: uh, jokes that can be <laughs> <laughs> um well i hope you on your insurance you have double indemnity and <laughs> um god and look, I, I, I know it looks pretty cold where you are, but, you know, some mm. like it hot. and uh, uh, um, Quit While You're Ahead. I wish there was a movie called Quit While You're Ahead so that I could have just like dropped in.
0: You know,
1: I'm waiting seven years to make that joke. I've had a seven oh, you know, no. itch. Um, you made some...
0: The, 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 made excuse some me, Chris, classics. Chris.
1: That joke was an ace in the hole.
2: God. <laughs> I, I think You just need to go back to your sunset boulevard.
1: What? I,
3: I On, that note. On that note, have a wonderful See you next week. See you next week, have let a, us know what you want us I, to fight about. Stay is better than some of these shameful attempts at puns we've closed out the
1: episode with. But no, there, there was actually, you know what? Next okay. week. Speaking of good things, <laughs> one film thing we have to go back to Corpse Bride. The main song was called "Remains of the Day." That's an amazing pun. Yeah, that was that was really good. You're right. He's better than, than us at that. Keep keep doing awesome <laughs> films,
2: Tim Burton. But the, but also like you should once you've listened to this episode now, I guess you should tell us your favorite Tim Burton films. And yeah, if that's a good you, idea. And if you were also, you know, a loner in your goth years, if you had a goth phase and you like My Chemical Romance, do hit me up.
3: Okay. Peace <laughs> uh, uh, out, lads and lads. Oh, God, ladette is such a disgusting word, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, like lad as well is ladites. like, it used to be a good word and it's been ruined. Oh, well. Anyway, gentle
1: folk listening to the show. (laughs) See you next week for uh, trying to think of a great Billy Wilder pun to close out on. Uh,
2: For a wilder episode. Hey.
1: Yeah, there we go. (laughs) That was was good enough. (laughs) It's a wilder time. Good Good night.
2: night.